you know, I don't know. I'm saying, how do you Robin started singing. I didn't really understand what was really going on with that either. Excuse me. That's what I'm talking about. Excellent. I'm talking and you singing in the middle of me talking. That really mixed me up. I really did not know how to respond to that. That was like, whoa. Welcome to Peak Show, where most podcasting is kind of being a hoe but making it fashion. I'm your host, stupid, stupid bitch, Brie Rohde, and here with me today is journalist, editor, and runway diva extraordinaire, Annie Granlund. Welcome to the show, Annie. Thank you so much, Brie. I'm so excited. I am not recording in my closet <laughs> like you are, but I made my living room really dark so we could be in solid. Yeah, you, you tricked it out. You, you made it hot, and it's great because we are recording an episode today on something that I think... Uh, both of us. Well, first of all, I should say you were introduced to the show by friend of the show, Maggie Olson. Maggie is your cousin. And um, yes. Maggie is, I always say, my, my honorary American friend. Um, so this is the first time mm-hmm. I've had two hosts on who are cousins, which. <laughs> yes. And Maggie and I are so interesting because we're only, I think, about nine months apart. I'm a little, I'm older than her. And other than the our gender and our DNA, we pretty much are the exact opposite <laughs> of each other, but get along so well. She's kind of like the um, sister I had growing up when I just had my mm-hmm. older brother. And, but yeah, we couldn't be more different. You know, she lived in the metro area. I lived in a small town. She went to a giant high school. At my high school, people drove tractors to prom. You know, she's this amazing vegan who can cook up these crazy ideas. I'm someone that would probably eat a cow while it's still moving. You know, we're just so different, but we get along so well. And it was really fun when she um, kind of introduced us via Twitter because then, like, the next day was our birthday. Yeah. And we're the exact same <laughs> it's age. So, and I thought that was just I will so say fun. congratulations on also being born on Father's Day. Fellow Gemini. Yes. The greatest I'm, gift. I'm yeah. really looking forward to all the chaotic Gemini energy as we discuss top <laughs> model. Uh, but before we dive into, um, you know, Tyra Banks' huge legacy of top model, we want to learn a little bit more about you, Annie. Basically, I call it the phrase training routine of who are you and what are you doing here? <laughs> yeah. Well, um, like you already said, I am a journalist and just recently, only a month into being my promoted to the editor of the Oatana People's Press here in Minnesota, I am, which was very exciting. I've worked here for four years now and I just love what I do. It's the only thing I've ever wanted to do in my life. So I am pretty excited about that. Um, I also just recently became a target for extreme right people who make videos about how awful I am. Oh my gosh. Which kind of feels like a cool new legacy to have. I hate to say that, but it kind of I suppose. I always always, um, admire people who can laugh about that because like as much as it is Mm -hmm. kind of hilarious, it I've I've only had something like a very low key version of that happen once. It is actually really stressful when it's happening to you. So I admire you being able to laugh about that. 
Yeah, you know, I just um, have to take it in stride and just, I always tell people that's how I know I'm doing my job right if someone's really upset about it. (laughs) So, um, but yeah, other than that, I am married. I have two cats who I have to apologize ahead of time. You probably will hear one of them meow at some point. (laughs) The one that meows the most is sleeping right now. So I think we'll be safe from him, but they're Portia and Mercutio. They're my little Shakespeare. I love kitties. that. My so. um my parents, uh, they're former pets, the the pets are now in pet heaven. Um I, they let me name them and I named them after Victorian heroines. They were Tess and Maggie. Um <laughs> Oh. Yeah, which that I think that was actually how Maggie, uh, c- cousin Maggie and I first uh, started talking was mentioning that not only did my mom have a cat named Maggie, but Maggie the person also had a cat named Maggie. <laughs> yes, long live yes. MC. Well, yes, we loved oh, her. Little ragdoll. Um, so I, I usually ask mm-hmm. all my guests, you know, when did you peak? But it really, frankly, sounds like with all you've achieved uh, this year that you are really, if not peaking, barreling toward a beautiful peak right now. Oh, yes. I think I have been on that steady uphill to peak hood, and I'm very excited about it and happy with it. You know, I um, definitely went through those younger years of finding myself, feeling like I didn't fit in with my small town, then going to college and not like really thoroughly enjoying college like all of my friends around me did. And then I kind of got into this party girl stage that while I had a lot of fun, it was definitely holding me back from my potential in life. And it was uh, five years ago Mm -hmm. now, six years ago, I reconnected with the man that I've now married. And it just kind of feels like I redirected myself. I stopped drinking. I got back into the uh, industry that I love, which is print journalism and newspapers. I got a promotion. I am YouTube famous as far as white ring conservatives are, <laughs> are concerned about. So I've just really been having a good time with all of that. And I, I do think I'm peaking and I'm loving every second. In, of it. in all sincerity, congratulations. Like I sometimes, you know, s- I, I found when I started the show, I imagined that everything would be really sardonic. And, you know, even like, when did you peak? I imagine that most of us would be like, yeah, I peaked in high school. My life shit now. And I actually love how many people are fully celebrating themselves, because even when you consider, you know, like gestures wildly at everything, um, I think a lot of people mm-hmm. have really pushed themselves or found some sort of not to sound too spiritual about it, but some sort of weird purpose throughout this or like just a new direction and the sense of focus and we're we're getting shit done, you know, like even me, like I, you know, decided because the lockdown and the way we were starting to work was making me miserable. And then I was like, I'm going to try really hard to get a new job. And mm-hmm. somehow I did. Yeah. I was, I, I mean, I'm a trade journalist. I started out in community news, but this is, it sounds weird because it's community news within Toronto. So, you know, within Canada's biggest city, but um, a series of a company that produces a bunch of magazines for very specific neighborhoods in Toronto, because people in Toronto really like to pretend that they live in small towns. It's like this weird small town cosplay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as it turns <laughs> out, that makes it really easy to go into trade journalism because you're really good at reporting on super specific communities. And, you know, I always say that mm. I write stuff that very few people care about, but they care about it a lot. And um you know, th- for the last year, I've been uh, reporting on agriculture. But prior to that, I spent, you know, six years reporting on media, broadcasting, advertising, streaming. Um, and 
while I didn't write regularly for them, my company did have a documentary and unscripted magazine, Real Screen. And so that, and we had, you know, the big global Real Screen Summit and Real Screen West events every year. And so that was kind of my, my different look at the reality TV uh, industry and even like learning about sponsored content and stuff and learning learning about mm-hmm. how brand integrations on shows work and like how much money it pulls in, which like looking at Top Model and how much money it pulled in, it actually like for being a show that almost none of my friends watched, I'm like, oh, wow, this show made money. Like and reality is very yeah. cheap to produce. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. The America's Next Top Model franchise is honestly a dynasty. <laughs> if you think of how many countries have picked it up, how many people at least know something about mm-hmm. it. And even if they've never watched a full episode, you've seen the gifts, you've seen the memes, you know the pop culture references to the I was really for <laughs> oh, you. Poor Tiffany. You know, we, we, we all know those things. And it, it really... Lover, hater, she Tyra Banks created a dynasty, and there, with all dynasties, there are some skeletons in the closet. I think, in order to be a very, very smart and successful business person, you don't always being a good person is not always possible, uh, in order to be as good of a business person. Mm-hmm. And, like, I think that Tyra Banks would, you know, lover or hater, and when it comes to how she presents herself, I tend to move more toward I'm not a huge fan. But, like, I really have to respect everything she's built. Um, And also, a lot of the advice Mm -hmm. that she, as much as, you know, the advice she gave out on Top Model was sometimes uh, frustratingly uh, contradictory and um, feeling a little unfair, I also do think there were a lot, like, sometimes when you, like, I was rewatching some episodes and, like, the legitimate critiques she gives are so, like, some of them really hit it out of the park. Like, Mm -hmm. she is an extremely good model. And she really knows what she's doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, like we always make fun of, like the this is not smiling with your eyes. This is smiling with your eyes. Like everyone, it's it's a fun meme <laughs> right. to make fun of. But like she knows, and I I know men's magazine teach mm-hmm. the booty, women's magazine arch the back. So, uh, so yeah, if you could tell mm-hmm. us a little about when you started watching Top Model. So I feel like my origin story with Top Model is very, very cute because as we already discussed, being born on Father's Day naturally (laughs) just got to be a daddy's girl. (laughs) And I started watching it when I was a freshman in high school because my dad found the show and suggested it. Like he, he, we, you know, for a really crazy busy family, because we were, my parents both commuted to work. I was in sports and in theater and in music. My brother, you know, worked full-time jobs and was in sports. Essentially, we were a very busy family, but we did kind of have like our TV nights, you know, back in the early 2000s where it was like, you got to watch the CSI on Wednesday and you got to watch I miss family TV watching. (laughs) Yeah. And it was something that my dad and I did a lot together. We we really enjoyed certain TV shows together. And he found America's Next Top Model. I think it was season two when he found it. And he was like, I think you would find this interesting. It's girls who want to be a model. And they... You know, they hang out with Tyra Banks and they learn how and it's a competition. And I remember the very first episode we watched, the girls had to like try to do their makeup, but there was only one. And it was, you know, just like one of those crazy 30 second (laughs) challenges that you're like, oh, my God, are the nails coming out? Like, what's happening here? And 
um, I was just instantly hooked. I thought it was so fun. And yeah, it just started to be something that him and I watched together. You know, this this giant former baseball player, athletic director type man just watching America's Next Top Model with his little girl. Yeah, for me, I no one else in my family liked it. I am I am not the only girl in my family, but my sister is just a little too much older than me. Like, I, I, yeah, by the time the first Top Model premiered, my sister was out of the house, and my mom, big tomboy, uh, she like. When she saw that I was watching this, she was almost like concerned because she's like, I don't want you to <laughs> like, I don't want you to get any ideas, especially because that was around the time when I was mm -hmm. growing a lot and I was dancing a lot and I was starting to lose weight and stuff. And my mom was convinced that it was because I was watching Top Model and oh. it's like, no, it's literally just because I'm dancing like 15 hours a week. Sorry, mom. Um, but um, yeah, so I started watching when I was 17 and like, it's embarrassing for me to admit this now, but I was a huge Seventeen magazine reader, and that was when they'd started really integrating uh, um, Top Model into Seventeen. Um, and the cycle that Jazlene won, there was a spread um, part of a challenge win, and it was actually Sarah and JL who were part of that that I just fell in love with. Um, and I also at the time was watching this YouTube show, uh, What the Buck with Michael Buckley, and he used to do these top model recaps, and he made it seem really, really funny because um, he had these very bitchy takes mm -hmm. on everything. So I went back and watched every cycle <laughs> that summer, it caught all the way up to cycle nine, and um, I was watching it as it came on. So I had a friend named Susie, whose house I went to to watch with her and a couple other friends because she was the only one of us who got the CW because um, it's not common <laughs> in a lot of cable packages in Canada. So it was a nice way to be part of it as it was all unfolding. And then when I went off to university, it was like a comfort food. It was a nice thing to watch while I was studying. I think the All-Star Cycles came up in like my last year of university and it was a weird thing where I just, after the All-Star Cycle, and like that was the one scandal that everyone knew about while it was happening. Like There were a few scandals that we learned about later, but I think everyone knew the winner situation of that cycle as it was happening. That like by within 24 hours, it's like, yeah, Anjali was eliminated because she was, she had worked as an escort. And I felt so angry about it. It was like, mm -hmm. I just woke up one day and didn't feel like watching it anymore. Yeah, the all-star cycle really felt like the last grasp at trying to remind people why we love the show, you know, bringing back some real true past favorites all the way back from the first mm -hmm. cycle. And it did feel like it was just a little too gimmicky, yeah. but I mean, we will talk all I about mean, gimmicks. Lord as knows, we, as Lord knows I was sitting around saying, I wonder what Shannon Stewart is up to. <laughs> And right, I, right. This, yeah. this might be the most extreme view I have. And I have some very extreme views about, you know, labor and healthcare and everything. My most extreme view is if you can't do a top model all star cycle without Jade Cole, you don't do the top models all star cycle. Oh my <laughs> gosh. You know, I was very surprised at certain people who weren't on it, but another reality show that I really desperately love, even more than America's Next Top Model, is RuPaul's Drag Race. And they've now done several all-star cycles, and I'm still waiting for some of my favorites and to show up. And friend of Top Model, Sutan, <laughs> being a winner of Drag Race. Yes, yes. I love Sutan. Uh, that was one of the reasons I started watching mm -hmm. Drag Race, was because Sutan was on there as Raja and I remember Sutan dressing up as Tyra Banks in cycle six and just thinking what am I witnessing <laughs> it is wonderful and I want 
more of it. I could not handle how much I loved that this moment. Show so was that was absolutely uh, my my introduction to drag culture. I knew nothing about drag culture. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah. Yeah. God bless Miss J. <laughs> Which oh my God, I was furiously googling this morning. What are Miss J's pronouns? And I think for the most part, uh, because he hasn't disclosed. I think he's mostly he, but like doesn't care if you say she like i think there's yeah so folks mm-hmm. if 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 you know if they're if miss j has confirmed their pronouns <laughs> anywhere you can let me know um but it i'm gonna be saying he for or she for the most part uh, yeah so guess. so like me it seems like your your views you mentioned this before like have really changed about top model over time can you tell me a little bit about this mm-hmm Yeah, well, so when I started watching Top Model, I was that instant fan. I really loved it. You know, like you said, Tyra Banks, she had amazing advice for some of these girls. Um, I still remember in season four when she recommended to Christina, who had that really thin upper lip, to roll a tiny piece of tissue and put it up there. And it's just like those little things where you're like, that's business. Mm -hmm. Like that is legit good advice in business. And so I was really hooked from the beginning. And honestly, I completely abandoned the show. I, I watched, I watched pretty devoutly throughout high school. I was like you where I had like a group of girls that we would always watch either at my house or at a friend's house who was uh, across the street from the high school. And we would just always make sure that we were there watching it. And it was probably cycle 19 that really became like the death of the show mm-hmm. for me. That was the cycle where they had the college kids and they brought Brian Boy, who did the social media stuff and like how you were rated on social media determined how good you were going to do and if you'd move forward. And I just, it, it just really lost all its appeal mm-hmm. for me there because it felt so gimmicky and so too much like kind of American Idol and and not as much about like, let's see what they can really do, or let's see some high fashion or some really amazing photography. And I also could not stand any of the contestants that season. <laughs> it just wasn't an exciting season for me to watch. So that was, that was when I really couldn't, I just wasn't dedicated anymore. I kept pushing myself to watch it all the way up until season, I think it was 22 which is just crazy that it, now that I think about it, that I watched that many seasons <laughs> of a show. Um, and that was when um, I, I always pronounce his name incorrectly. Niles, the the man who is yes. deaf um, when he won. And that was fun to watch. It was fun to watch him persevere. Mm-hmm. Um, but even by the time I was watching those seasons, I think I binged them like on one of the streaming services. Cause I was just mm-hmm. over it. And I haven't, I couldn't tell you anything about the last couple seasons because, again, it just, there's so many things that, so many things that made me abandon it. But that cycle 19 with the introduction of the social media, I just, I was over it. It it hurt my 90s child's soul to have social media infiltrate America's Next Top Model. My views have gone like kind of back and forth about it. Like, um... And I think I couldn't divorce that from how I felt about Tyra and how, like, my views, like, started, mm-hmm. like, you know, when at the time when I was watching it, when I was in high school and university, I used to say, like, oh, I'm, I'm hate watching it. Or I, I just watched a laugh Tyra Banks. Like, I kind of lie <laughs> because I was embarrassed to like such a girly show. But I actually did think it was genuinely good. Um, and even, like, the way 
in 2020, kind of Gen Z has had this reckoning about Tom and talking about all the problematic elements of it. There are, are a lot of things that I agree with and a lot of things that I don't agree with. A lot of things that I actually find a lot of like never gets brought up, like the fact that I find we're a lot more unfair to like we as viewers, the show was a lot more unfair to black girls and and girls of color than white girls. For example, like Elise Sewell is always like remembered as this like hilarious you know, too smart for her own good, like called, a, in my grandpa's words, called a spade a fucking shovel. Um, but then <laughs> Yaya DaCosta, who has had one of the best careers in terms of show business and stuff uh, from the show, she was viewed as this insufferable snob. And I'm like, oh, am I saying the quiet part loud here? Or like um, a lesser known example, I think, is Cycle 6. Two girls from Cycle 6 have gone on to become lawyers, and one of them was portrayed as stupid the entire show, and that is Feranda. Um, and now, Feranda, mm -hmm. she did have a cute, silly personality. Like, she was very fun-loving as opposed to Sarah, who I think is just a very boring person. Um, but, um, like... Feranda at the time was formally educated with a bachelor's degree at the time on the show, and yet it just they loved portraying her as this kind of doofy girl. And now she's not just a lawyer. She works in like black liberation and social justice and helping get people off death row and stuff. And so um, watching it again and thinking like, how did my biases, biases factor how I watch this or even factor like what certain girls were forgiven for? Like I... Um, I was hoping to have this done more thoroughly by the time we talked, but um, I've been doing watch throughs and doing like, okay, how would I have called this week's pictures versus how are they called? And using that math to determine who in each cycle was the most overrated and who was the most underrated. And I thought I could get one to 10 and I did not, but I got five through eight. And one of the things I saw is like, there are certain okay. girls that if they had been called as high as they deserved, it would have just been a clean sweep. And two of the one of those girls was um Anshul from Cycle Seven. Like she was never regarded as a bad mm -hmm. contestant, but by the time she was eliminated, you know, she had been very middling. There were so many of her pictures that were so gorgeous. And it's like you can't just call her first every week because, you know, it's boring to have the same person called first every week. But really, like she was incapable of taking a bad picture. She had one of the most beautiful faces ever. But it's like, you know, we have we have to give all our camera time and attention to, you know, Melrose for some reason, um, who now that I look back, like now that we're both in our early 30s, does it feel like, oh, yeah, Melrose did look old. Like Melrose looked my age. <laughs> yeah, you know, I I often think about I, I think the last time I watched Top Model and realized or no, it wasn't the last time I watched it. It's one of the cycles I didn't see where there was a 30-year-old, God forbid, <laughs> in the cycle. And they were like, this is groundbreaking to have such an old <laughs> model. And I was like, ow, for starters. It, it reminds me of just this week. I was talking to my brother's middle school class about my job. And someone asked me how old I was. And I thought they were going to faint <laughs> when I told them I was 32. And they were just like, but you don't look old like it was hurt them to I legitimately that. feel bad and yeah. I like, when these girls yeah, are 22 and but they get the old I, edits right they get the old edit but I I do remember thinking that it's it's hard for me to imagine um someone like Melrose who got that old edit or Lisa in cycle five, um yeah. five who got the old edit 
of like, you know, there, there were some things that, um, that, that it did make him look a little bit older. And one thing that was really prominent in the top model, um, early cycles was a lot of the girls smoked. Oh my gosh. And yeah. they, and they would be seen on TV smoking all the time. To the point and where they had to ban I it wanted- in one cycle. Yes. And one of the cycles they banned it and the first shoot was about, I think it was like cycle um, nine. Uh, it was cycle nine. Yeah. Yep. Where they, where they banned it to, and they did the, the shoot of like, here are the bad side effects of smoking. And since that cycle, I do feel the models started to look more their age mm-hmm. and younger. And that's an old school. I mean, I remember hearing about that when I was a teenager about how, models were told to smoke because it helped them keep weight off. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know if that was still what we were witnessing or yeah. or what, but I, I do think about that often about if, if that really impacted how old some of the girls looked, especially if they had really thin lips, because mm-hmm. that's kind of the first place you see smoking impact your, your facial features. Yeah. So when I was doing the history section, um, one thing I realized, and like, I only realize how unique this was again after I started working in entertainment trains trades was that I can't think of that many other reality shows where the host is the full-on creator and executive producer like Tyra was not just a hired host she was the brains behind the show um Mm -hmm. and even like the more critical things that like I know Jay Manuel has done his Jay's chat and stuff, and he's been fairly neutral to a little critical of Tyra but just like she had control of everything which is insane. And again, sounds like so much work uh, that I almost think not that it's justified, but it's kind of no wonder she lost it on Tiffany the way she did, because I'm like, does this woman sleep? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, right. <laughs> so it started in 2003 when Tyra's Prodco, formerly known as Tai Tai Baby Productions, paired with 10 by 10 Entertainment and EP Ken Mock to present the show uh, on UPN. And interestingly, even though the format until pretty much until the social media stuff came into play, the format was pretty much set from the beginning. Like it's changed. It changed very little. But the original mission statement of the show wasn't so much, this is a series of challenges where we're going to see which girl has the most model potential. It was a bit more like we're making a model in eight weeks because Tyra's original mission statement was to kind of help people understand the world and the process of modeling better. Um, you know, eventually that's the that's the one thing I find is by like say even the fourth or fifth cycle, it was kind of expecting girls to come in less raw and with a little bit more knowledge already. But the first season was a bit mm-hmm. more, even though it was still a competition, it was somewhat documentary style. Uh, it was notoriously low budget with a lot of production mishaps. The judging room wasn't ready until a couple hours before. Um, but over nine episodes, it had an average of three point six six million viewers, which is like. Not a blockbuster, but for UPN and a brand new show, Women Centered in 2003, that's pretty respectable. And again, reality is very cheap to produce, so that's good returns. And uh, they nearly doubled for the second season. That was its peak rating-wise. But Top Model was actually fairly predictable and consistent ratings-wise for the first nine cycles. It fluctuated between like high fours and low five millions. Uh, Ten started to dip, and for the next couple cycles, it was like high threes to low four millions. Um, Also, Cycle 7 was when UPN merged with WB to create the CW, uh, and Top Model was actually the only show from UPN to carry over because it was so successful. Um, As ratings lulled a little 
lulled <laughs> a little. The show <laughs> was still quite commercially successful. Now, according to Adweek, which I'd say is pretty trustworthy on this kind of stuff, going into the 2011 season, ads were going for an average of 61,000 per 30 second slot. Now, ads are transacted a little more complicatedly than that. Like, it's usually transacted based on how many millions you're going to get. Uh, you buy in bulk so you buy packages all throughout the season but so if an average 30 second commercial gets $61,000 for the network like how many 30 second commercials are in an hour show like that's insane um that's Mm -hmm. really that was the highest at the time for the CW and that's not counting the value of sponsorships and brand integrations on the show so over the years, that's included Sephora, Keds, Lee Jeans, Walmart, and of course, not just CoverGirl, but the entire P&G family uh, with bits for Herbal Essences, Secret, and more. Um, I didn't realize, I guess, shortly after I stopped watching that CoverGirl um, was no longer affiliated with the show. It was shortly before CoverGirl got acquired by Cody in 2015, so that might have been part of it. Uh, but really, the first sign that Top Model was starting to hit the snooze button in terms of ratings was actually the All-Star Cycle. It was the lowest average ratings yet, even lower than season one, at an average of 2.25 or 2.52 million, and it was pretty much steadily downhill from there. Um, some episodes even received less than a million uh, for AMA, which is pretty low. Um, so, and then t- Top Model pretty, I'd say, enthusiastically embraced gimmick cycles. Like they went on the record saying there's going to be no more normal cycles of Top Model. Um, you know, they had the British invasion, the college cycle, the co-ed cycles. Um, we dropped our Jays and Nigel because they were trying to clean house and, you know, bring in some new blood. Um, and they did also move from once a year to twice a year, which was kind of a long time coming. When I think about it, like, TV networks do not invest in their shows anymore. Like, when I look, when I would do write-ups for what was coming to what network, um, like, I mean, there were cycles of Top Model, which, you know, 13, 14 episodes that had more episodes than the last season of This Is Us. Like, and so you have two Mm -hmm. of those in a year. That's actually a lot for the CW to invest in the show. So it was kind of only a matter of time before they switched to one a year. Um, they switched to VH1 for the last two cycles. Cycle 23, Rita Ora came in as a host, although Tyra remained EP. She did return for the 24th and final cycle, which also returned to all girls. The gimmick was that there was no gimmick. Um, VH1, for some reason, doesn't have the ratings for those last two cycles. I assume they were bad. Um, like a lot of things, Top Model was never formally canceled. But it hasn't been renewed since 2016, so I think it's fair to mm-hmm. say it's probably not going to come back. Um, I yeah. think, and that yeah. is very on par for VH1. Yes, like VH1, just like their shows would just kind of go away. Yeah, and I remember seeing VH1 pick up Top Model and thinking like maybe it'll get back to the good stuff because I, I'm infamous for my not pop, my unpopular pop culture opinions and one of them is loving those trashy vh1 reality shows that were like celeb reality and you know flavor Flav and <laughs> brett michaels and celebrity fit camp and just all of that fun stuff but um yeah they they didn't they didn't deliver what i was hoping they would and it's very on par that they just don't really say it was a fail it just kind of yeah disappears what i think is really really impressive is that after less than two years, they packaged Top Model as a sellable format, meaning other countries could produce mm-hmm. their own version. And like selling formats is really, 
really good money-wise. So, like, again, I cannot imagine the money Tyra made off of this and uh, everyone involved. Um, it's because um, I looked at how many international versions of Top Model there were and how many cycles, and it's it, it's in the hundreds when you add up the cycles. So that's pretty damn impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, it was it's amazing how many countries picked it up were successful and it was kind of fun. I never got into watching any of the international shows just because of lack of time more than anything, Mm -hmm. but it was really fun to see just even just through the photos, what the supermodel standards were kind of in different countries around the world. And, and it was just more common to see a cast full of different colors and different heights and just different styles. It, it was really fun to see that, even though I only saw it through photos. Mm. I really enjoyed that. I liked the Canadian version. Um, the first, uh, the first cycle, it was hosted by some Canadian model that I've never heard of. Um, but the second cycle, <laughs> it was hosted by Mr. J. And I, I used to hate Mr. J when I actually watched the show. I actually think Jay Manuel's great. <sighs> um, you know, I think. Even he said, like, there were a lot of things I said on the show that I wouldn't say now. And I was actually, when I was looking at the how much the theme of so many episodes was pushed through if you're sick. No one cares if you have a cold. No one cares if you have a flu. I'm like, oh, my God, these days, if you come to work and say, like, no one cares that mm-hmm. I have the flu, like, and you, you know, infect your entire team, like, we have... St- extreme awareness about that now so i'm just like that's a terrible message i get why you pushed it at the time but that's a terrible Mm -hmm. message um i had this down in my notes but i think like for me like talking about why it hasn't been renewed and why i don't think it's renewed is because like even at the time that top model was launched um it was it was already fighting against so much because, you know, Tyra talking about like there's more actresses on the cover of magazines and models are less relevant. And like the day of the supermodel really peaked in the 90s. And so this show was already mm-hmm. post supermodel glory. Um, now we're living in a life of kind of models are Instagram hot girls. And when I was looking mm-hmm. up Anshul, I was really happy to see, first of all, that she has basically become a plus size model now. She's because I think her body type looks better bigger like she has really nice curves and everything and i think she looks stunning in clothes so i was like i'm glad you didn't keep pushing yourself to stay small because that's really toxic for a lot of people but i was also like it's good to see it's a good time to see like plus size in the sense that like instagram and influencer culture basically just lets you become a professional hot girl like even the need to be with an agency is less and less runway is less and less important and people are getting commercial and fashion gigs purely through social media and like just promoting shit and doing unboxing videos and like that's just making people into models now and I mean, it must be, I can imagine for people like Tyra Banks and Linda Evangelista, they're probably just like choking at this, like, what the fuck has happened to this industry? But (laughs) um, so I feel like just the show is no longer as relevant. And it, you know, you can tell it tried when it tried to implement the social media stuff. But I just think that the Mm -hmm. modeling industry, the the quote unquote modeling industry doesn't exist. It's an, it is an industry of influencers. Well, and I think we've seen firsthand too many people who have become successful just through their own social medias. I mean, if you even look at Justin Bieber, Mm -hmm. I mean, he was a YouTube kid and he had wild success. Carly Rae Jepsen, she was a YouTube kid discovered by Justin Bieber who had wild success. And there's just a slew of other people like that where I don't think I remember watching 
um, Carity English because she was from Fargo, which is only 40 miles from where I live. So, well, not where I live now, but where I grew mm-hmm. up. So that was very exciting to see her on there. And I actually, after she won, even got to like see her on a beach once. <sighs> it was very exciting. Um, but I remember her cycle um, and it really talking about like, this is what they needed to help them break through and kind of learn and be able to get their name out there in the industry. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think there's anyone who would be considered model age, which we're apparently geriatric in the modeling world now (laughs) because we've surpassed 24. Um, I don't think any of them and any any, uh, young adult has any idea that they can't just do it on their own. Yeah. You know, they really feel they have the power of social media and can go after it themselves. The other thing I find with social media and like, you know, when I was looking up a lot of these girls, see like, what are they doing now? Like, what do they look like now? And a few of them, like um, one who she claims she has had no work done. And I'll say, um, I, I believe her, but Dion from Cycle 8. Oh, my gosh. She is she she's aging in reverse. She is gorgeous. I wouldn't recognize her. She's lost her very hilarious Alabama accent, which I miss because I, I do. She had the best deliveries, especially the what the fuck is wrong with my baby's hair? Like, oh. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> but um, l- looking at some of these girls and seeing like how gorgeous they are and how like those who have continued to work, how good their work is and how awesome they look and kind of wondering, like, does that undermine the show? Because a lot of these girls who were eliminated for things like you don't want this enough or we don't see passion in your eyes or whatever. It's like uh, and people Mm -hmm. have said this about the modeling industry. A lot of it is like we don't care about your passion. We don't care about your eyes. We care about you having good genes, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. And like or someone like Eugenia, who like even when I was doing my like was she called too high? Was she called too low? Like she was a little she stuck around a little too long, I think, but also one of the most beautiful girls to ever be on the show, I think. Um, man, she's still super hot and she takes an amazing picture. So it's like, <laughs> yeah. did they just suck on the show? Or was it that when I was looking at some of these photo shoots, I'm like, some of these photos are too ridiculous for me to see like what's good about them. Like, um, the, right. What's fashion yeah. about them. <laughs> Cycle eight had some of my favorite shots. Like I love the candy shot. I love the crime scene shots, but then they had the reenacting past top model moments shot or, uh, oh, that the, one was painful to the watch. The absolute worst one though is the four personality shot. Cause I'm like, this is the cheapest. Like, did you spend all of your money all of your budget on the crime scene shot because it's just like them standing in front of a white background and like making a tear sheet. It, it was really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I want your, yeah, that one was awful. Now that we're talking about the early CW yeah. seasons, I want your opinion on Celicia. Yeah. Um, cause like there are a lot of conspiracy <sighs> theories, like about Celicia being quote unquote pre-selected. And I definitely bought into that at the time, but I'm not so sure how I feel about it now. So I'd love your take on that. Well, you know, I think that Celicia, the, I, I remember the controversy coming up, like she was in a Wendy's commercial. She was in Tyra Banks's, um, little model boot campy thing she had for girls. I remember thinking that's probably weird and probably did have quite a bit to do with her sticking around during some of her tougher weeks when she didn't do a good job. But considering they gave her a mushroom haircut (laughs) and she still (laughs) was able to pull off some good pictures, I got to give her credit. I did think she was a good model, but I do think that it was kind of the first time I really truly noticed 
better models being overlooked. I thought Lisa Jackson was significantly a better model. She was insane. And I think she's one of the models because I also loved Project Runway. Mm -hmm. And every once in a while, you'd see a little crossover of America's Next Top Model models Mm -hmm. being on Project Runway. And I think she was on there and maybe even her designer one. But she was fantastic. She had those long, amazing legs. She looked like a you know, like a, a wild deer in Africa or she something because she just like had those cool amazing eyes. Young thing, but also had like a classic mm-hmm. supermodel look at times. Um, oh, didn't yeah. like the haircut she was they amazing. gave her. <laughs> they lo- no, and I didn't like yeah. most of the makeovers that happened in that show. No. But, um, and even speaking of bad makeovers, Jenna of that oh. season, she had an awful makeover, but her photos were to die for. Yeah. Her, the, the, she so naturally just had like this face mm-hmm. that would just pierce through you in those photos. And I remember when they did the group shot in um on the Great Wall. Yes. And my eye went to her just mm-hmm. instantly. I just thought she looked amazing. And so that was the first whether or not there she that Celicia was a little favored, she probably was. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it would be kind of silly to think that she wasn't to some extent, but it was the first season that also really made me realize that like they're they're doing some picking and choosing behind the scenes in my opinion because those other two girls were just above and beyond better than the ones who made it in the top two. Yeah. And I, I think like so for me, the way my position has evolved is first of all, like all those of us who were crawling the message boards, which I was among them. Like we started to get really hopped up on the Celicia pre-selected conspiracy theory because then the next cycle was, oh, well, Whitney was also a pre-selected winner. And mm-hmm. now that I've had some experience covering the industry and also literally putting together sponsored content programs myself and putting into together like anytime we did an award show or an expo or something like working on brand integrations, um, to an extent, I'd say you could say all winners are pre-selected in the sense that all shows have someone that they want to push as a winner. And the show has made no mm-hmm. secret that it recruits girls. Um, Whitney, Whitney, um, I know there have been a few Whitneys, Whitney Thompson, who won. She was allegedly um, recruited but told she should gain weight and be plus size because she was kind of in between. And I actually think, her again, she is one of those people who has an amazing plus size body and you know, mm-hmm. I I have no problem with that really. Um, but um, I think like uh, and if, in terms of recruiting girls, like again, Sarah on Cycle Six was literally chased down in a mall. That was part of her narrative. But I think it's more that sponsors uh, to be on the show. Sponsorship of a television show is a really big ad spent commitment. And CoverGirl for like a decade spent a lot on their of their media buying on this. They did huge content programs. They did shopper marketing, uh, and the spend went up every year because the, then all of a sudden you know they're doing the web series and they're doing My Life as a Cover Girl. Like they kept adding on. So. Of course, you want CoverGirl to stay happy. And it's not necessarily that they're going to pick a certain girl and say, hey, you know, it's me, the rep from CoverGirl. It has to be her. But I'd wager dollars to donuts that they're going to look at a girl and that they don't want and say, no way, not her. And mm-hmm. as a show, you don't want to yeah. alienate your sponsors because that's all that money you're throwing out the window. So like where the best example is Cycle 5, like a lot of people, and I didn't realize people were saying this at the time, but I think it's so true that the sh- like 
The judges and the editing even don't seem that invested in Nicole. They don't give her any feedback that seemed designed to break her down or give her any plot or whatever. And like it there seemed the editing seemed to have to like scramble to try to find like a personality and a plot for her. It's clear that Nicole was supposed to be like a middle of the season elimination fodder girl to me. Kind of the way like no one thought girls like, you know, Gina and uh Leslie were gonna make it far. They were they were picked as elimination fodder. Um but then so a lot of people believe that it was Lisa that they wanted to win. But, you know, sponsors witnessing not only her excessive drinking and some of the ways she treated the other girls. And I, I should note, snaps to her for getting sober because that's not that's not mm-hmm. easy. Um, but the diaper incident, you know, literally peeing yeah. in a little person's diaper. Um, of course, a sponsor like CoverGirl is going to say, like, yeah, you're never going to get a penny from us again if you pick this girl. So I, I also think there's a possibility they really wanted Kim to win, but she just wasn't good enough. And also, it was still four years before CoverGirl had its first lesbian spokesmodel being Ellen. So, um, I mean, ultimately, why they didn't pick Nick is a mystery to me. But I think, you know, CoverGirl clearly liked Nicole and she was a good commercial model. So I think like the mm-hmm. sponsors can pull things in whatever direction they want. And if I were a sponsor, and especially a very commercial sponsor like CoverGirl and the PNG family, I would probably really like Celicia. I would probably also really like Chantal and Jenna with a different hairdo too. But, you know, I would say they definitely wouldn't want someone like Bianca or whatever. Um, right. Yeah, but like ultimately, this is a media yeah. buy in exchange for a TV show picking a spokesperson for them. It's high risk and the return is exposure. Mm-hmm. So you want to lessen that risk. And so I think Celicia's win made me cynical. But like the more I looked at it, the more I'm like, oh, like... Every single cycle had an agenda to push. Every single cycle was to a degree listening to its sponsors. And, um, you know, I, I think ultimately I've I've now seen more egregious things on Top Model than Celicia winning. <laughs> um, and really, right. if Jenna had won, I would hope they would have given her different hair for the win. Right. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that poor girl. It just looked like they plopped it on her head in every testimonial that wasn't even supposed to be there. But, you know, you bring up an interesting point about Whitney too, though, that, um, I, I, and I liked Whitney, especially in the beginning of the season. I thought she was easily likable. She was a good model. I thought she was, she was, and I thought she was so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And like her face really did kind of mesmerize me. Although when she took bad photos, her bad photos were bad. Yeah. Like her good photos were fantastic, but her bad photos, the photo where they were doing like the black and white movie paparazzi oh, yeah. that was an awful, awful photo. It was such an unpleasant photo of her and it was just unfortunate. But I often think about... um with reality TV, I mean, we're delusional if we don't think that there isn't some scripted vaccine planning. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you think about having powerhouses like Takora, oh. everyone wanted to see her succeed. She had that personality, that face, that and the skills, um, just atmosphere about her. Yes, and the skin too. Oh like God. she just was very flawless. And but they kind of did her dirty, you know? They oh yeah. They, they let her go and they didn't give her like the emotional support that she felt like she needed. And um, I think we saw that a couple times with our different um, plus size models or full figure models and people in the world wanted to see a plus size mm-hmm. gal win. And I think they knew that eventually they had to. And of course it would be 
the tenth cycle. Yeah. Because then all you ever heard about is when there's going to be a guy season. Yeah. And when did that happen? Cycle twenty. Yeah. So they knew. They knew they had to push those milestones. They knew that they had to give the people what they wanted to stay relevant, to keep getting those um, those ratings that they were hoping for. And I, I definitely don't think she was the worst person to be the first. Yeah. Was she the first person to come along who deserved to win? No. But I don't think she was the worst choice. And as much as I thought Anya of that season was really beautiful and fun, I, I, I do think overall Whitney had the better full package mm-hmm. as far as being able to be commercial and high fashion, which back then, at least in my brain, was still the point yeah. <laughs> to be able to do it all. And Anya actually left the industry very abruptly. Like she did pretty well and then just decided it wasn't for her anymore. Whereas the one thing you could say about Whitney was mm-hmm. she really breathed the industry. Like it was it was her passion. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't a huge fan of her personality, mainly because um, I'll say I feel like the only person who noticed this and to, to quote Mugatu, which I often do, uh, I feel like I'm taking <laughs> crazy pills. Um, the, uh, the very terrible and cringeworthy, I'll call it the Barbie incident early in that cycle. Um, I think there was, I have this, not even theory, uh, this kind of like Charlie Day, Peppy Silvio, uh, red string thing behind me, (laughs) um, that Whitney played a bigger part in that than the editors would have you believe. Because when Allison said her, she was, you know, she was playing with her weird little Barbies with Whitney and they were kind of giggling together. And when she said her extremely offensive thing, which I'm not going to repeat here, and Fatima immediately was like, why did you say that? Are you kidding me? You can hear just barely Whitney saying, it's not offensive. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh my. And like, it kind of, you could tell they were trying, like the the mic, it was someone else's mic picking it up. And I was like, because you can't have your, mm-hmm. by the time you're editing the second episode, it's pretty clear either who's won or who's in, like, just with the scheduling. Like, so it's like, we can't have, we can't have a scene with our winner saying something, defending something that is extremely racist or mis- even misunderstanding a situation that is extremely racist. And then halfway through the cycle, mm-hmm. when Dominique accuses her of being racist, suddenly it's like, oh, maybe she actually was uh, was onto something. I mean, Dominique was weird as hell, but uh, um, <laughs> but yeah, like I would say, like by cycle ten, I think the show needed to have to answer for why do we keep casting plus size models and giving them plots entirely about being plus size, and then the ultimate message mm-hmm. being they can't win. And I think they really, really mm-hmm. wanted um, Diana in cycle eight, uh, Diana Zalewski. I actually think she was one of the most beautiful mm-hmm. plus size models they ever had. And she also looks amazing post-show. She's like got a lot of tattoos now and looks like really cute and punky and stuff. Um, but like she just didn't. I, I actually thought she was better than than her call outs would indicate. But, um, you know, they just didn't like her that much. So I then I yeah, I get really mad when they get Takara or even Diane from Cycle, Cycle 5. They basically just like manufactured a reason mm-hmm. why she wasn't good anymore. And they never gave her her dues. Right. But then a couple cycles later, you have um, Alexandra, uh, who I thought was a really great. Um, oh. She was fantastic. And then uh, Kasia, who was, you know, again, they, she's 26 and they talk about her like she's 50. Um, she did look. I know. Ni- she did look 19. She had amazing skin. Um, mm-hmm. She was an amazing model. But it felt to me like at that point, oh, a plus size model isn't going to win because they already had one win. And it's like, we can have one plus size model and we can have one short girl win. Um, but mm-hmm. so, yeah, like I'm, I've stopped being upset about Whitney. Um, 
because frankly, <laughs> like it's she is. I think she had the most passion for that. Um, when I look at like girls who like rule post show, I'm not even talking about girls who stayed in the industry. I'm just talking about like girls who kind of chase their happiness, and that is what makes mm-hmm. me much happier. Like you know, when I talk about Anya left the industry really abruptly, like. That makes me sad, I guess, because she was a good model, but like modeling is really a temporary career. And so like Whitney did something smart by like creating a retail company or fashion, like getting into fashion retail and business, like that's that's your longevity. You are no matter what Tyra Banks wants to say, you can't be a model forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I I definitely have a lot of love for the post the postseason girls that just kind of continue to do what they want. You know, we've got a lot of girls who really dominated in the entertainment industry in a lot of ways. And I just always thought that that was really wonderful to see. Um, I'm a big fan of Leo. um, And I just think that watching them is just a really fun thing to see. Like they just make me happy when Mm -hmm. they pop up on my screen or on my TV or on my phone. And I just really love seeing people get after it. I also really loved um, that a couple of the winners or the runner ups like Ann Ward and Allison um, Harvard with the, or, yeah, yes, Harvard. With the big eyes yeah. <laughs> that they went into that very like artistic role mm-hmm. of like they got to be in front of the camera, but they, they really liked the art side of it. Yeah. Because I think that one of the things that really did hook me especially when like my mom would tease me because I could watch reruns of a season I've seen a thousand times is I love the art. Mm -hmm. I love looking at the photos that are really artistically beautifully done. And I think some of these girls like Anne and Allison, we saw firsthand that they, they were a little more cerebral when they thought about art. Mm -hmm. And I really like seeing them kind of rock that knowing they have what it takes to be successful as a model. They still are like, you know, but I really like this other part where I can, where I can have a little control and be creative. I love Allison. I think her approach to the show has been really good because some of the girls seem like so embarrassed of it or whatever. And she, she seems to have a really positive attitude about it because like, a lot has come out about how the conditions within the show were really difficult on a lot of the girls, how like, they would be deprived of sleep and deprived of resources and not allowed to talk to people and sometimes like not even know what time it was and, um, you know, being put on ice, which was almost like a reality version of solitary confinement. And um, Mm -hmm. I I would say that you have to like, when they talk about people passing psych tests, like Jasmine not passing the psych test her first time or Anjali not passing the psych test. um, But again, I I wish a lot more people knew this about reality TV. Psych tests aren't really to protect the girls. They're, They're to protect the show they're a liability thing so it's not even saying are you mentally healthy enough to do this because like we want mentally healthy girls it's are you mentally healthy enough to do this because if you have a breakdown or something we don't want to be responsible um because of the conditions that they put them in so i think i i admire allison a lot for the fact that she seemed to withstand everything like really really well um one person who has killed it post show and i can't believe we haven't talked about mainly because i I have a lot of kind of anger about how the show didn't protect her enough, but um, Isis King, um, love her. Yeah. Um, I understand, like, honestly, her pictures weren't great, um, but there were, I think, other people who had not great pictures as well who didn't, uh, who made it further than she did. I, 
I hadn't been exposed to trans people a lot prior to ISIS. I came from a very small town and I didn't know any out trans people until university. And then around the time when I watched Cycle 12, I guess it was, with ISIS, was when I actually um, was dating someone and someone in their family was transitioning at the time. And I was able to kind of use the firsthand knowledge I was gaining from my ex's uh, family member being very open about their transition and sharing a lot of their emotions and what they were experiencing and kind of seeing how that applied to ISIS, who, for for what it's worth, had a very different life than this person because ISIS, you know, being she was a woman of color, she was homeless, you know, and she like telling her story, even it's really cute the way she has talked about like how when she got cast, like leaving the shelter and not wanting to tell anyone where she was going and stuff. And um she seems like a real jokester, honestly. Like, she seems like the coolest right. girl to hang out with. But also, I think the way, like, the show, like, I I get that they don't want to censor what the girls were saying and stuff. But, like, when you have someone like Clark, who was the mean girl that season, calling Isis a man on camera in her confessional, I think, I get that she's supposed to be the bad guy. But it's like, I don't know if it benefits us viewers to see that i think all it does Mm -hmm. is confirm like people who already had because there were a lot of people again i was i was the one little troll on the message boards at the time a lot of people who were watching who weren't a fan of isis being cast because oh well she's not a quote-unquote real woman and stuff and i think like posting those opinions or even in the all-star cycle camille said one of the worst things which was like oh if i can't if i can't look better than isis like when I'm the real thing. And I'm like, that's one of the worst things you could ever say about a trans woman. And I'm like, I don't know. I just feel like everything ISIS went through on the show, like I don't, I don't wish the show had sanitized it. I guess like I'm fine with them showing her experience realistically, but it also felt so voyeuristic and mean and sad for me to be watching this trans woman get mistreated and like not a lot of people doing anything about Mm -hmm. it. Right. I think for me, so um, one of my one of my cousins, actually, Maggie's um, sibling closest to her age is trans. Mm-hmm. And it has been a, a journey for everybody because of what a lot of, you know, trans individuals experience is that difficulty of finding themselves, which can be accompanied with mental health issues and that stuff. And um, Isis was on before Elliot came out as trans to us. Mm-hmm. And so ISIS was probably my first, like, not face-to-face experience, because obviously it's through a TV screen, yeah. but first really kind of big exposure that wasn't um, that wasn't a blockbuster movie, you know, or super fictional, or, or even just a like tabloid a news story. article, yeah, or a tabloid story. You know, it was this, it was seeing this woman on 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 the screen, and in this reality setting. Which one thing I will say, as far as I can tell, there hasn't been a ton of outpour of past contestants saying that they were too crazy overly edited mm-hmm. um, and that they were like, no, I said that. Yeah. Like, you know, they admit like I, I said those things mm-hmm. and, and it's that is who I am. Kind of like Allison's take on the whole show. But with Isis, there was a part of me during her season that did make me wildly uncomfortable with the way they edited the footage of how the other girls interacted with her like you said and it's yeah it was important to show what she dealt with but there's there's another part of me that wonders like was that the appropriate platform for it yeah um or would this have been a way better platform to show that 
she's a powerful woman and she's gorgeous and she's going to chase her dreams despite, you know, the hardship she's gone through. I, I always think of the scene where she was in the hot tub and she's talking about how happy and pretty she felt being in a swimsuit. Mm. And then they focused way too much on the one girl. And I I can't remember which girl it even was because it was a group of Her them. Her name was Hannah and she was a out. moron. <laughs> yes. Yes, that's who yeah. I thought that's who it was, but I wasn't sure. But she like screamed because Isis got too close to mm. her in a swimsuit. Yeah. And I just remember thinking like that was so unnecessary. It, it just really was because for every moment that they showed Isis feeling so grateful for connecting with a girl and feeling like one of the girls, they showed three moments of the volatility towards her. And I'm not just, fitting in. Uh, yeah. And I, I just wonder if that was the appropriate yeah. platform, I feel like it would have been a more powerful message to focus on the strength of that Isis brought to the show mm -hmm. and not the, and not this look how hard everyone makes it for her. Cause I feel like it helped normalize being weirded out yeah. by transsexuality. Totally. And that's not what I wanted. And again, it kind of feels like they were just trying to give viewers what they thought viewers wanted. And I know that's part of the game and it's part of business, but it, it, made me very uncomfortable then and that was years before I did have very close personal experiences with the trans community yeah so I I don't even know if I could watch that season again to be honest there's seasons I can watch <laughs> over and over but just for that reason I am not sure I could watch that season again it's yeah the things said about Isis were not great and it's also just like there like you said there were a couple really nice scenes like when you know Mickey told her like oh you're like a butterfly and stuff mm -hmm. um I th thought that was really mm -hmm. sweet but when you think about it like all the footage of Isis was either her being someone's inspirational trans friend or her being the target of transphobic bullying and I'm like I like the former better than the latter but I wish at least we could have just seen some Isis being one of the girls and hanging out like just living yeah. her life and not having to be someone's lesson to learn because that's the thing and like I, I mean mm -hmm. Isis did do that because she wanted a platform and she has done great things with her platform but also she's just a regular woman who enjoys fashion and has a passion for modeling and stuff and it felt like no you have to play this activist role and I, I just think like man she must mm -hmm. be so tired of that <laughs> Um, yeah, the, I really felt like they kind of made her out to be a martyr, which is probably why one of my favorite Isis moments is really when she was just acting so giddy about how much she loved her swimsuit. Yeah. Because to me, that was just like iconic. I've had those swimsuits too, mm -hmm. where I'm just like, I feel so pretty. <laughs> and I just like felt so cute and dainty. Yeah. And that's, to me, that was the best Isis moment. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she... She has done amazing things since. She's so beautiful. And she is one of those people where you're looking at her Instagram can just make you smile because you can tell she's happy. Yeah. So my last note uh, before we get to your last notes is um, it, it's a big and it's a very serious topic. And I also feel like this is somewhat connected to the fact that there are three girls now from the show who have passed away since. And um which mm -hmm. an another one of my um, top model conspiracy theories that's not really conspiracy theory because people have said this, people who worked on the show said this was the case. Um, Kim Radzewski, uh, Radzowski, I don't, I'm not great with Eastern European yeah. names. Um, so she, uh, she died by suicide about five years after the show. Uh, she was the girl who quit on Cycle 10. Um, and the way she quit, she was portrayed as like this snooty girl. Like, I don't really like fashion. Um, 
there was a big thing at the um on that cycle like where Tyra cast 14 girls instead of 13 and according to people who worked on the show she actually approached uh the t- the crew during the casting portion and said you know what I'm not in a good mental state to do this I actually want to leave because and this is the really terrible part her mother and boyfriend within the last like year or two had also died by suicide and she was just not in a good place and she wanted to leave and they Mm -hmm. said just just stick around just stick around and we'll figure it out and then she eventually wanted because uh they wanted to get her quitting basically on camera and i thought that sucked because she was kind of immortalized as like a little brat um and then Mm -hmm. she obviously had struggled with her mental health for some time and um it's it's really, really sad, um, especially like when I was watching the Jay's chat, which uh, Jay Manuel did a bunch of, you know, talking about his experiences cycle by cycle. And he didn't even know that Kim had died when he was talking with her. And someone said on the live comments, like, hey, Kim, they, they, they use different terms. Kim died by suicide. And he just like the he clearly felt so awkward. But it's like, wow, like you guys don't or even um, JL who died of cancer. And I feel like a lot of people focus on the tragedy of her life because she did struggle so much with addiction. A lot of people don't focus on the fact that she was six years sober and had a really amazing life by the end. And like her dying just felt so sad to me because I was following her on social and it's like, oh man, like she's really thriving and she's helping other people get clean. Mm -hmm. So um, apparently, I, I think Renee had said this af- shortly after cycle eight, when Renee um, and her husband divorced, that Renee and JL had a brief relationship, which I'm like, whoa, like they were so oh. volatile on the show. But um, <laughs> in the days between Renee losing cycle eight and her conviction, there was also Tyra's mini show within a show, uh, Modelville, which she admitted um she admitted on that show she grew up in an extremely abusive situation, like very abused by her father, who was also the chief of police and a preacher, like, and then was at that point living in extreme poverty. Like she said, I have $11 in the bank. Mm-hmm. So when she was arrested after a six hour standoff and more than a half dozen charges, including four felony burglary charges, her interviews from prison and her admissions from prison, like I think they cast a dark light on the show itself and the cycle like if you when i was watching cycle eight back last week i was shocked at how much like the way tyra tried to fix renee on the air and how renee very clearly you can see it in almost all her confessions like this person is suffering from untreated or poorly treated mental illness and like she's the last kind of person who Mm -hmm. should have been in that house and been in that situation uh which is like literally detrimental to someone's mental health um but what she said in her interviews from prison is that like the show makes it seem like you will have all the all you have to do is work and use your connections and impress people and have a good attitude and like none of that is true and if you don't have the look you don't have the look and for a lot of people they do end up moving on and establishing new careers but for girls who felt like they had nothing else and were desperate like which is exactly the kind of girl that tyra claimed she wanted like i want a girl who's gonna live this and breathe this it can totally break them. Mm -hmm. And so I think the show, like, I understand why they leaned harder into gimmicky cycles after that, because it's like this, like, putting more of a fun tone on it, when like, the cycles leading up to that had been very, very serious and grave. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I I do think that they're there could have been more responsibility taken on the producers and the casting agents with um, not picking someone who 
I mean, maybe going back to the psych eval test, maybe they should have taken those more seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, because I can definitely see how when Jasmine didn't get onto that first cycle, I mean, she was very open in her winner interview because I too had like stacks of 17 mm-hmm. magazines in my closet um, for many, many years. And um, she did talk about how at that time she was in a horrible place mentally Mm. because she had been in this horribly abusive relationship. And, you know, it's probably very good that she was not on that season. Plus, that way I could cheer for Carity and then cheer for (laughs) Jasmine the next time. I love Um, Jasmine. But I I did too. She was someone that, like, I rooted for in both cycles. Mm. And I think that it's too bad that reality TV doesn't take that a little bit more seriously because America's Next Top Model is not the only reality show where we've seen things like this happen, where they just feel like they lose everything. Their whole identity gets wrapped up into this reality TV persona, and it just kind of implodes on them. And I do think that I'm not sure. I want to believe that what happened with Renee and what happened with a couple of the other girls following the end of their seasons um, was a reason to move towards that gimmicky lighthearted funness for like the good of everything. Mm-hmm. But the cynic in me does believe it was more of a business thing. Yes. <laughs> and they just wanted to keep people interested and keep making money. And Unfortunately, I do think they just wanted to distance themselves from those people, which kind of goes into one of the things I wanted to talk about, which is like the downfall of Tyra. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> because I because I loved Tyra so much from the beginning. And I would be an absolute liar if I didn't say that she wasn't one of the reasons that I tuned in every week. Because I did. I loved her. I loved the little pieces of advice that she gave. Mm. And I love the passion she owed, even when she did freak out on the contestants or break down crying. I loved and breathed for that because to me, she was this first woman we saw at that time who was so unapologetically herself with yep. all the messiness, all the craziness. Um, when she gained weight, when she lost weight, like she was just her. Mm-hmm. And she came across very genuine to me in those first seasons. Mm -hmm. And I loved it. I couldn't get enough of it. I loved her crazy antics. And I loved just her being messy. It just, to me, made it more real. A lot of models didn't do that back then. I would have never seen Christy Brinkley do something like that, you know? No, no, you, you never, you never. I she said in cycle one, I just farted. Like, yeah. yeah, I know. Well, yeah, she just, um, yeah, I, I just really admired how out there she was because I'm someone that feels emotions very big. Mm-hmm. And I spent a lot of my life believing that I was too much for some people. And it took me until I was older to really realize that that's their problem if I'm too much for them, not my problem. And I think Tyra was the first one that showed me that path. I had to walk down it, <laughs> but I feel like she was the first celebrity that showed me that there that path is even an option Mm -hmm. and so I just loved her for it but during those seasons you know with um I I would actually even go back to to cycle five with Lisa Mm -hmm. and all the drinking they showed and you know she went into celebrity rehab and she really struggled and was out there for a while and then we had Renee and JL who came out of cycle eight with a ton of problems and then um it, it felt like Tyra, as a business person, had to protect her business and her show Mm -hmm. 
more than she could continue caring for the girls like she made it appear in the beginning. Mm -hmm. I am not someone who can say if either part of this is fake because I don't know her personally. Um, You know, it's, it's hard not to look at it with a, you know, with a microscope and you want to pick it apart, but I believe that she did genuinely care about the girls in the beginning and wanted to give them this opportunity. Um, I remember this, this episode and cycle into Cora's cycle, cycle three, when she sent Cassie home and she thought Cassie had an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. I really believed her. She might be a really good actress, but I really believed her when she was heartbroken over that decision and that it worried her and kept her up at night. Mm -hmm. I believed her. And, but by the time cycle eight came around, it felt like they had to desperately try to distance themselves from those problemed girls. Yes. And I feel like we saw that with, um, you know, Carity was one of the people who spoke out when JL was struggling with her addiction yeah. that Tyra didn't do anything for her mm. or didn't try to help or didn't acknowledge it existed. Um, you know, when Kim died, it seems like nobody knew. And this and it was a drug overdose, according to her loved ones. Oh. And I'd read that purpose, it was a purposeful. Su- oh, okay, yeah. A, a purposeful drug, a, su- a suicide by yeah. drug overdose yeah. is what I should say. Okay. Yes, but yeah. that's so. Sad. Um, and then it was, yeah, and it's like, and I did not know that about her mm-hmm. until years after she had even died. Mm-hmm. And you know what? You it, it that just didn't seem like the Tyra I knew in the early two thousands. Like that didn't seem like our home girl that she wanted everyone to treat her as, and like her mom, like their mama, and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, and then it was cycle. Um, oh. It was after cycle when Mariana. Yeah. She was in one of the co-ed cycles mm-hmm. when she. Um, she was murdered. When she died in a triple homicide. Yeah. That's awful. You know, this horrible, horrific thing. And all we got from anyone from the franchise, and I'm not saying the contestants, but the producers, the judges, Tyra herself, was this really weird canned mm-hmm. social media post. Yep. It was like, oh, we're really feeling for them. Like it it seemed no different than when you see someone post an accident on Facebook and everyone goes prayers, 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 prayers. Yeah. Like it just felt so disingenuine and that kind of broke my spirit with the way I love Tyra. Mm. I, I still want to love her. I do still think she's pretty great. Um, but it just, I don't know what it was if she was trying to protect her show mm. or if she just was so into it being a business and a franchise that it absorbed her. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of made her lose her rocker. Yeah. I also used to think Tyra was so funny like I just couldn't get enough of her with her humor and how she would just do goofy things and, you know, pretend her and Miss J were in love yeah. or, you know, just, I loved that kind of stuff. And, and towards the end, it, it just seemed a little too forced. It did. It, it didn't seem real. It's interesting because I see your notes on the girls we love to hate. And with us talking about Renee, I thought it was interesting <laughs> that you didn't put Renee on because I would agree because when you talk about like reality show villains, um, Someone like Renee, and maybe this is just me watching this back as a 32-year-old who's, you know, known a lot of people who have struggled with addiction the way Renee has and stuff and and mental illness. It's like, it's not fun to hate her. You feel extremely bad no. watching her. Um, but no. whereas it's she was not fun to hate. Really fun to hate Robin. It is so fun. Oh gosh. At, at least once a day oh, though, I do say that, oh Jesus, 
Jesus, like from her and the snakes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, yeah. Jesus. Yes, I loved hating her. Mm-hmm. She was a she was a character who was made for reality TV. Mm-hmm. And the interactions between her and Elise, I, I feel for Elise because I I feel like she was, I, I feel like she was kind of one of reality TV's first victims. Of like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, this is awful. Like reality TV is actually terrible because here's yeah. this brilliant woman who is like, what is wrong with all these people I'm surrounded by? <laughs> She's like, she broke the fourth wall <sighs> of a reality show. And also from that cycle, Ebony. Oxymoron. Ebony. Um, yes. Oh, why yeah. she have it like, intense. I know that Jim Halpert has become the king of the, you know, looking into the camera thing. But I will say Ebony Haith predates that with when they were doing that prayer and Ebony just looks right right at the camera she fucking kills me um and i've seen this uh, yeah. a couple times um but i i think some people retweet it not even knowing where it's from but the gif of ebony when she gets called to the house and she looks like she's kind of crying but then she just does her like nope nope and like it's the best like she was such a comedian mm-hmm. but yeah robin made things oh, yeah, really hard for fun. her but she would never even though like she, you know, we talk about the way Isis was treated. She did display some pretty gross homophobia toward Ebony. Weirdly, she never seemed to have a problem with Ebony herself. She just seemed to have a problem with Ebony's relationship because, like, there were times that, like, I always think of them doing their little beatboxing in the confessional work. We're black. We're women. We're different. I'm a lesbian. She's voluptuous. Like, they seem to get along. But then Robin, like, a lot of yeah. those, you know, more conservative Southern Christian types, it's like, oh, no, I'm fine with you being gay, but I don't want your girlfriend to be near me. Like, that's that's right and i think that that and i do think though that that did highlight where the world was at that mm-hmm. time there was a lot of people who were fine with homosexuality they just didn't want to be yeah around it. i kind of forget and that that predates even gay marriage in canada like we didn't have it until 2006 mm-hmm. I, it predates it here too mm-hmm. we we didn't the federal government didn't recognize it as a legal marriage and you know take the power away from the states until 2016 oh, i think i was i was working yes, at my old 2016. office yeah. <laughs> yeah. i remember rupaul putting out a great message about it <laughs> so because that's when i had already transitioned to my new reality life. but <laughs> yeah you know robin was fun to hate camille was super fun to hate too she again was a problematic person but her this is my signature walk and this is gonna oh, make me famous i, I lived for that <laughs> lived breathed died for that and like those see to me that's why it's fun to love to hate those mm-hmm. people where like renee was struggling so much and when she was mean she was kind of just mean mm-hmm. that it there wasn't and she was angry fun stuff to hate like, about her camille was on yeah, another planet so you could, like <laughs> yeah she was literally and she probably would have told you mm-hmm. that that she was on another planet you weren't at her level mm-hmm. so you can't help but be like oh yes and then of course we moved into the queen of reality. The TV queen of forever. being on another planet. <laughs> Jade. Oh, oh, I could not get that exit. I dream about it. Sometimes. Leftover it, lady. I just. Oh, in the moment where her and Janice Dickinson were bonding, yeah. I was just like, oh my. Oh my goodness. That it's all coming together now. This is her destiny when i think about it though jade might have been one of the worst makeovers i've seen on top model simply because when you have the very the very first shot of that cycle which one of my favorite shots the bald shot 
What that tells you Mm -hmm. as a producer and as someone who's making creative decisions on the show is which girl can handle a lot, like not a lot of hair and which girl can. And Jade, although I think that was a gorgeous picture, it's like, oh, wow, she looks really hard. We maybe need to soften her with her hair. Let's give her no hair Mm -hmm. and dye it ice blonde. That's terrible. (laughs) I, yeah. Like she's, she had a hard My bigger problem. Yeah, my bigger problem with her makeover was the color. Oh, terrible. I didn't mind her with short hair. Yeah. It was more so the color because when I look, when I think, because they put her in a lot of wigs. I mean, it's yes. not like every single photo she took, she didn't have hair. Mm-hmm. Um, but there wasn't ever one hairstyle that I was like, oh, wow, that would have elevated her. Um, so I think that had they just like given her dark hair, just a more like neutral color, mm-hmm. Um, it could have still been short, like honey I brown or like reddish her... brown or something. Yeah, yeah, or even yeah. It just Beyonce's the color hair, was pretty yeah. bad. But oh, uh, but that but that makeover though. I I want sometimes I wonder if they did it on purpose to just keep poking her. Oh, they so that she keep definitely. being her insane over the top self. Yeah. That and because like oh, she just. I just she's a gift. This is not America's next top best friend. And her and her panties doing that, like, (laughs) Um, yeah, just she she was a gift to TV in every way. And yeah, it was it was it's not putting her on all stars. They tried to get her, and she didn't want to do it. Which uh, good for her, I'll say. Of course, she didn't. Um, Yeah, (laughs) but no, I thought it was interesting because I just the last cycle that I rewatched for my overrated underrated was cycle seven. And I actually mm-hmm. think when I look at it, Melrose wasn't that big of a bitch. She was annoying, but I think like the the bitchiness with her was like the most mundane things. It was just her being like a little too type A for the house and stuff. Where I think it was mm-hmm. more fun to hate Melrose was how she took so many things so seriously like i never for, never want to forget yes. when they did the flamingo dancing challenge and she's crying on camera like dancing is my heart and my passion and i'm like are you you were a dancer oh. like this is such a weird thing to say like as someone who is a dancer and grew up dancing i'm like i don't think she's a dan- like that's such a weird thing and i'm like i just don't think yeah. we should be judged on dancing I'm like you have an anxiety disorder i'm not qualified to say that yeah. but i have an anxiety disorder <laughs> i'm like i see it all over you kid <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. She wasn't really, I don't think I've ever thought of her as a bitch where I will say that she had the, and this could have been editing, but her gossiping was pretty out of control. She really loved gossiping with the other girls. Not that everyone didn't talk about everyone, but I think some of them had it figured out to keep it to the testimonials. There were a lot of girls she was on that cycle who were really chill, too. And so I think she seems pretty bad in comparison. Like, mm-hmm. the twins were so chill. Carrie D was, you know, oh, Carrie D had her moments, but she was pretty chill. Jada was really chill. Like, yeah. And so, yeah, Melrose mm-hmm. seemed, it, it seemed yeah. very obvious who she was threatened by because she just couldn't stop talking about them. <laughs> Yep. And it was kind of, I I do think the reason I list her as one of the love to hate people is because of the fact, like you said, she would react so strongly (laughs) to so many things, like, like someone snickering and going, smell rose, like, and she would just get so upset. And it's like, those kind of little things where it's like, of course, a group of women are going to pick up on those little tiny, annoying ways that you would do to your best friend. But you, for whatever reason, you're like nope nope not you you can't do that if someone gave so me the nickname smell rose kind of i fun to watch so hard like it's a it's a oh, pretty good i know nickname. um i know it yeah. reminds yeah she she was just fun to watch 
she was and like when carity stepped on her dress (laughs) oh i thought she was going to have a meltdown right there and the season would be over because she couldn't continue um like she just couldn't handle that it was like the perfect thing to happen to her um so bianca is a weird thing because sometimes i think like like renee it was almost you're too bitchy to enjoy this but it what i love about Mm -hmm. bianca is when she wanted to be mean she could be devastating and um oh her telling salisha you're borderline plus size i'm like wow that's like to to say in a modeling competition is like she must have written down like what are the meanest things i can say to someone going into this okay say this say this say this (laughs) like she is oh um that said she did get an amazing makeover Her, she rocked the oh, she I, I loved. Oh, yeah. I loved that they shaved her mm-hmm. hair off. And she, I think what's fun to love to hate about Bianca is that she had the judges just won over that mm-hmm. she had this sweet smile that would light up a room. And she had that really smooth talking, like down to earth vibe in the judging panel. Like she just had him so won over. And then you as a viewer, you're like, but but she's targeting yeah. people like she is she, and she's she gets so worked up but i did love her um she, she to me she reminded me just of the girl in the high school cafeteria that you wanted to sit close enough to that you could listen to yes. her talk but you didn't want to make eye contact with her because you didn't want her to talk about you i think with bianca like the only and I will say she totally owned that she was a bitch. Like, she called herself a fun bitch after the show. She's like, yes, I did say all those things. I don't believe I was wrong for it. she owned up to it. Um, I think the only time, Mm -hmm. there was one specific time when it felt like too much for me. And it was that when they were in the hotel in China. And Heather's clearly really pissed off. She says, I wish I could get the joke. And she goes, you, you're the joke. And I'm like, oh, that's such a Mm -hmm. mean thing to say to someone. And, like, I also say, like, the way... Heather was portrayed and we reacted. It was such a novel thing. Like, oh my God, someone with Asperger's, like someone on the autism spectrum being on the show. And now that we know so much more about autism and the way we define it and the way the definition of autism has expanded, I wonder if it would have been seen as as big a deal because there are so many people, like especially that got their diagnoses later in life, that like it was as though Mm -hmm. people thought like, oh, how can Heather be doing this? And it's like, because she found herself comfortable in that situation like she was skilled yeah. and could she's focus a functioning on human like, like people acted yeah. like oh well my you god look- like how is she functioning right now it's like autism and functioning labels are so um dated but i mean we didn't know mm-hmm. that or not we i mean autistic people have always right. known that but the general viewer didn't know that much back then Right. I would be amazed if we didn't do a really deep dive on all of the cycles before that, how many people we would find out were on the spectrum. It's why it's called a spectrum. Yep. Everyone's on it. They're just on in different places. Yes. But yeah, she, Bianca's, um, that Bianca was just vicious enough to land her the role of villain, but still there was something about her that you, you wanted to keep watching. She was watching. very entertaining. It's sad to see her go. It was her time, but you're kind of like, oh. So All right, we'll see how it pans out with these three. <laughs> so before we progress into the lightning round, what I uh, also thought was fun as I was watching, and I, I thought it was really a fun way to divide up the show and how it evolved. Um, so cycles one through three, I call the scrappy year. So when it was still new and coming into its own, um, you've got Janice Dickinson mania. Um, it's oh. The girls didn't know the show as well, so they weren't obviously playing characters themselves. Like the girls weren't as savvy. 
Um, cycle four, although Janice Dickinson's still part of that, cycle four through six, I call the Tyra show years uh, because that was when Tyra launched her own talk show. And like you said, like Tyra wasn't as close with the girls back then. And part of it was because she was allegedly running herself ragged like uh joni who has uh gone on to basically become a famous carpenter <laughs> after the show which i think is awesome uh she she was even saying like i almost like i do not know what tyra was like i never interacted with her and i'm like you were second place and you didn't interact with tyra that's crazy but um mm-hmm. so the it changed the dynamic the focus seemed to and it also seemed to turn more commercial than fashion uh shots became a little more absurd. Tyra orchestrated far more very special episodes in the house, which was kind of because, let's face it, she was trying to be Oprah. She was trying to, you know, mm-hmm. make everyone like d- do little therapy sessions and stuff. Um, cycle seven through nine, the 17 years. So when L Girl was replaced by 17, uh, Natusa Rubenstein and Ann Choquette became uh, very regular uh made regular appearances on the show. The magazine starts to play a bigger role as the girls' personalities become more important and also the switch to the CW. Um, Cycle 10 to 14, I call the post-Celicia dark period. Um, So after Celicia was selected as winners, a lot of super fans were turned off and became very cynical with conspiracy theories. The show returns to New York, few care. Uh, Whitney McKee, Tiana, and Krista were (laughs) relatively unpopular winners, although I like some of them. I love Krista. Um, The winner is also now splitting the 17 cover. It wasn't really a cover. It was a back cover. Um, So that says that 17 probably thought that their magazines with the winners weren't (laughs) selling particularly well. Um, 15 and 16 are a little bright period for me. I call the Renaissance um, because this was when Vogue Italia came in as a sponsor. The cycles were more explicitly high fashion. You have girls like Anne, Chelsea, Molly, Brittany, all great contestants. My one complaint is they are extremely white cycles. Um, I don't know if that was anything to do with Vogue Italia or what, but um, in a lot of cases, yeah, a lot of whiteness in those cycles. And then cycles 17 through 24, I call Wacky Town. New gimmicks and formats thrown in every season. The Jays and Nigel depart. The Angelie scandal looms heavy in the air. Tyra goes, Tyra comes back. No one knows what's going on anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's just haphazard. Mm -hmm. No, I think that those are are marked down perfectly especially the wacky years that because I was thinking about that when I when I was trying to think of when I abandoned the show and that how I don't even know anything about the last couple cycles I was like well this is when it's when everything went bananas Mm -hmm. that's the only way to describe it in uh the British invasion cycle there is one thing they have a couple quote-unquote international destinations and my city although I think by the time this comes out it won't be my city anymore because I'm moving but Toronto they very briefly go to Toronto and it's really Mm -hmm. weird seeing Toronto portrayed as this super cosmopolitan place like it is the largest city in Canada and I guess to outsiders it looks really beautiful in advance but I'm just like oh downtown Toronto like where around where they were shooting in the fashion district and the entertainment district like I worked there for six years like it's it's a nothing place Mm -hmm. like it's just you know yoga moms and dogs like it's so not glamorous it's really (laughs) weird to see Toronto portrayed as a glamorous place to me Mm -hmm. um I did love that photo shoot, though, yes. even though it definitely wasn't fashion, because, like, what could they have been selling? Mm-hmm. Syrup. That's really all they could have sold. But I love maple leaves. I actually have a maple leaf on my arm that ugh, it's hard to show. Yay! It it's beautiful. Um, yeah. 
Oh, my mom drew it, and it is uh, it is because my family is French Canadian. We immigrated down through Canada, and our last name is French for beautiful leaf, and we just always represented it with the sugar maple. So I was obsessed with that photo shoot. It was so artistic, in my opinion, and even though I bet it was wildly uncomfortable for those girls, I thought all of them were really, really beautiful. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, I really loved that photo shoot, even if you felt like it was weird to see your city. It was more the Toronto sequences that I thought were just really funny. Um, This like Toronto, it's like every time Mm -hmm. they moved into, they went to an international destination that was really not a fashion capital and they tried to claim it was. Um, Although I guess Toronto Toronto is the fashion capital of Canada, but that doesn't say much. Um, (laughs) All right. So (laughs) lightning round. Uh, We've got 10 questions. Annie, who is your favorite winner? It's either Carity or Jasmine. I really loved both of them. Carity was up the street for me, and Jasmine is just Jasmine, and I can't get enough of her, and I want her on my TV every day. I uh, have one very obvious one and one less obvious one. Um, Danielle. I think Danielle is a lot of people's favorite winner. I think she has a great personality and has oh, had a great God. career. She's super beautiful. My perhaps less expected one is um, just no one talks about her anymore is Eva. Um, you know, five, six queen like myself, Mm -hmm. um, looked gorgeous, had just the nicest face and was a fun bitch, you know? Um, so I love her Mm -hmm. least favorite winner. Uh, Nicole, Nicole, Nicole Linkletter from North Dakota in cycle five. I just don't in any way understand how she won. I Uh, thought she was, I think she was an elimination fodder. Yeah, I thought she was boring. I thought her she did have some very beautiful photos because she did have that very classic face. She was beautiful, but between yeah, she was beautiful. All the girls on there are beautiful. Mm. Um, but between Nick, who to me was the obvious winner, and then even Brie, Mm -hmm. who was so packageable, I was just like, how? And I still get annoyed about it. (laughs) I, I get annoyed about it too. For this is going to seem weird though. I don't hate her as a winner as much as I hate McKee, simply because I think McKee, mm. in a cycle where you had so many great, strong personalities coming forward, and then you have McKee, who I thought her look was amazing before her makeover. I think her makeover was not only bad, it proved that she couldn't handle a lot of different looks. Um, and so mm-hmm. I don't think she was necessarily packageable. I think she had a terrible walk. Uh, I think she was really boring. Um, but right. uh, I also, frankly, resent the fact that she started randomly talking with a British accent toward the end. Um, she like she totally right. Madonna'd that. It was so weird. Um, yeah. Like my my husband, he's originally from England, but he moved here when he was like preschool age. And so you don't hear hints of an accent, mm-hmm. but you hear hints of affectations. And like you can tell he was raised by British parents because the way he pronounces like he asked me last night if we wanted to watch an episode of Ted Lasso. Not Lasso, Lasso. Um, but so when she sounds more British than my actual born in Britain husband, I'm like, what the hell are you doing? But no, I just thought she was the most boring winner ever. Whereas at least with Nicole, it's like, I can see you getting work, you know? Um, okay. Favorite photo shoot? Uh, it was hard for me to pick one for that. So I have a, a quick list I'll go through. Yay. I loved the music shoot and I loved the mm. music shoot in season 10 because I love music. So seeing music like personified into people, and Whitney's I picture. just thought it was really, really fun. Mm. Oh, Whitney's picture and Katarzyna's mm-hmm. photo. Like those both really spoke to me, but those are also two music genres that I really love. Um, the uh, diamonds and tarantulas shoot in season three. Mm. 
I just thought that Yaya's photo was so beautiful that her photo alone to me, oh, everything about the way she was looking and the way her mouth was relaxed. I just thought it was that photo alone makes it a great shoot. Mm -hmm. Um, The political issues one in season eight, I thought was, again, a fun way to see something get personified. Mm -hmm. It was a little gimmicky. But I did think it really pushed a lot of the girls to take on this, you know, modeling is part acting. And so they really had to take on like feeling and embodying what these beliefs were. Um, I loved the bowl in season seven because I thought it was a very high fashion. The makeup mm. was cool. And I love Nigel Barker. <laughs> so I'm just like, speak to me more. Give me more direction. I saw him in a coffee shop um, once in New York and he is even more stunning in person. It was when I was doing the um, the New Fronts oh, and I'm just like, oh, he's so tall. And like, he's so beautiful. Oh, I bet. He just seems like a gorgeous human in every way. Um, the Waterfall in Africa, which was the one where in Psycho 4 where they had to like walk oh, to their photo yeah. shoot and then make their own costumes. I just thought that was really fun and beautiful and very ethereal. And I love that Brittany rolled around in mud Mm -hmm. and she just looked like so beautiful that she, I believe she was a like little water nymph. Like it was just great. And then I, I hate to admit this, Mm -hmm. but when they aired not longer anymore, but when they aired the two different shoots that they did where they changed the girls nationalities or ethnicities I was so fascinated by that when they first came on. Cause the very first one was that weird got milk one in season four. Yeah. So I'd have still been in high school and it, I just liked this idea of like, what would I look if I was born a different race? I definitely see how problematic it is yeah. now and that they, that was a huge line that they didn't just cross. They jumped over it. They swan dived over they it. They played hopscotch And then on they it. did it again. <laughs> Yeah, and then they did it again, which I think the second time was even worse in season 13, because then they did it as a biracial person, Mm -hmm. where they not only changed the person's race, but then put in these really gimmicky costumes to incorporate the two races they're supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't know if it was the makeup that fascinated me or just that idea, but when I was younger, I was fascinated by them. As an older person, I'm like, oh, wow, that was a line that I cannot believe it made it through how many lines of defense did they have to know like this is a bad idea. But that's the thing with Tyra being having the control that she did and Tyra was the last word in everything not just what happened in the judging room Mm -hmm. but what made it to TV and Tyra has said herself she didn't see a problem with it at the time and you do tend to default to well if a a woman of color doesn't have a problem with it I guess it's fine and like you that was kind of a lot of our attitudes like well a black woman thinks it's fine so it's fine right like um yeah for me i i have three uh the crime scene shots um i do think of it now as a little exploitative but i i still think like all fashion is exploitative to a degree um right (laughs) the um the scarves shot from cycle 13 there are not a lot of cycle 13 the the short cycle that i like but i thought the scarves and the way they used them were so interesting so fashion um Mm -hmm. and then the like i'm really into the very fashiony shots the the backstage photos from uh cycle uh 16 or 15 the the cycle with molly and Brittany. britney's cycle um yeah i thought that was so interesting because even the the format of the shoot was so different from 
anything they did, they didn't have, you know, an assignment and you're going to play this character and you're going to play, and this is our photographer. It was more, we're getting ready for your challenge and we're taking your pictures backstage. And I thought that was so cool and resulted in such awesome pictures. Mm -hmm. I do have to say an honorable mention one because the photos themselves were not that Mm -hmm. great was in cycle eight when the girls dressed up as men and posed as drag queens. Oh, yeah. Because I love drag queens, and it was super funny, and all the girls had so much fun with it. And one of the drag queens is Raven from Cycle 2 of RuPaul's Drag Race, who now has a commentary show with Sutan in his drag persona of the I so, um, have to throw that one out there. Some of them were pretty good. I thought uh, Jasmine's shot, again, was amazing. All Jasmine's shots were good. But mm-hmm. I will say, go back and look at Dion's shot and tell me that she does not look like Sterling K. Brown. She looks just like Sterling <laughs> K. Brown in that. Um, okay. Yeah. Girl you think was done dirtiest by the editing? Um... I have two people. One of them is Lisa in season five. Mm -hmm. Well, she definitely did something she should not have done trying to be a professional. And what makes it so crazy to me is if you really look back on it, she was the only one who was really in it to win it. Mm -hmm. Like she was networking on sites. She was asking questions. She was asking for feedback. She was so professional about the situation, which almost makes the weird thing she does that much weirder. But I do feel like they edited her a little dirty and played up a little too much of some of her substance abuse and um, just how much the girls disliked her. I just feel like they could have edited it differently of like, no, they were jealous. They were threatened. Well, and when you watch the reunion, when you watch the reunion after, a lot of girls Mm -hmm. actually liked her. Like there were girls Mm -hmm. who thought she was really fun. Um, Yeah. Like when it comes to showing people with substance abuse on screen, I sometimes think like, how much are you like... Even if it was really that, and clearly it was that bad because she did seek treatment for alcoholism, but it's like, why are we watching instead of helping? Why are we mocking instead of helping? Right. Yeah. Yeah, we mocked her a little too much, especially when she was like talking to the plant. Mm -hmm. And it just, it normalized making fun of people who had substance abuse issues, I think. And that was hard for me. The other person who I think, and this one kind of hurts me to talk about because I think they did her so wrong. Mm -hmm was Kelly from season three, <gasps> yeah. the um, the black girl who said that she was an Oreo and her friends make fun of her for being white. They only showed her insecurities. Mm. And there's one scene where she's trying to practice in the mirror, doing what they told her to do, oh, practice in the mirror, and she breaks down cry. crying. And how she says she didn't realize she was ugly. I don't know what was going on there, but I just, there, there's no way someone who's as beautiful as her right. didn't get pulled around by whether it was the producers, the editing. But when I think back on what happened to that girl while she was on the show, it, it hurts me and breaks my heart. And I just feel like they exploited the crap yeah. out of her for ratings. And that's very hard. Hers is to me, as much as the ISIS stuff bothered me and as much as the substance abuse problems bothered me, there's something about seeing this girl completely break yep. down and doubt how amazing she is that just hurt. Because also, like, they really dug Kelly for her personality, too. And I think Kelly mm-hmm. was actually very sweet. Like, there were certain remarks, again, like, I, as a white girl, I'm not going to repeat certain remarks that were made. Uh, I know there was the thing she said mm-hmm. during the insecurities talk that pissed a lot of the black girls off. And 
that's that's their thing to be pissed off about. It's not my thing to say, I think she really meant this or whatever. Um, but actually, right. I think it seemed that a lot more girls liked her than we were led out to believe because like she got invited to go on the cruise as a challenge win. And actually, that was one of the funniest mm-hmm. moments of that cycle when everyone was arguing about, I don't know, it was the crystals or whatever, arguing about something. And Kelly's just yeah. in her sunglasses walking in the hallway like, get out of my way, guys. Yeah. I'm going on a yacht. And I'm just like... Yeah. She was yeah. she had such a beautiful little spirit and um I thought mm-hmm. the like I also don't think she was the most modely looking. I think she was really beautiful, but I think it was obvious that they see they cast her and it's like because she, you know, comes across as a little ditzy, like, I'm just a white girl with a really good tan. And it's like they thought, we're gonna make her life hell. Cause like Janice Dickinson, I think she, you know, she's a person who has been through a lot and has had a difficult life at mm-hmm. times. Um, but also Janice Dickinson was an incredibly mean person. And the things that she said about Kelly's pictures, I'm like, oh, that would stay with me forever if someone said that about me. Right. Like, like the way she did the ha, with her um, no makeup picture. Like, that's yeah, the, so mean. Yeah, the back and forth. What did she call it? Fright Night, yeah. I think is what she called it. And like, that is that is therapy inducing oh, God, yeah. right there. <laughs> so in terms of done dirtiest by the editing, I think... Um, a little bit Melrose, just in the sense that I think more people liked Melrose than the the show let on. And again, I think it was just that the show didn't really have a bitch that cycle. And so they needed someone to be mm-hmm. the bitch. Um, uh, I think Molly Sue, in terms of I think they tried really hard to erase any indication of her having a personality because not only, you know, Molly has kicked ass since the show um, and done <laughs> extremely well for herself. But also everyone else in the in the house appeared to think Molly was this really funny, amazing girl. So it's like, why is Molly like it, it felt like they definitely just omitted any instances of Molly being funny and being fun and being interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then finally, I think Yaya got it a little bit. It's not to say that I don't think Yaya had certain aspects of her that was annoying and stuff, but it's more like the fact that Yaya just wanted to carry herself with dignity and, you know, rise above certain things in, in the house. Like maybe she was a bit pretentious about it, but I just feel like the reaction to Yaya, it was as it acted as though she was a tyrant when at worst it's like she was maybe annoying. Like that's the worst thing you could say about Yaya is she was mm-hmm. annoying. And the show acted like she was just a, a terror. Right. And I will say going back to your comment about Melrose and they needed a villain, they had a great villain. And she was not sucked out of the model. It was Monique. <laughs> Yeah, Monique was a great villain. She was nuts. And she <laughs> pretended she peed on a bed, rubbing her underwear on Melrose. Oh. So it's kind of funny how the, her target ended up being the person that they casted or, or you know, changed the editing because Monique was a fantastic villain. She was near J-level, but Jade-level, but she uh, wasn't modeling mm-hmm. enough. She, she, was, she took awful photos. Girl you'd like to be friends with. Uh, I mean, there's so many of them, but the first one that jumps to my mind is Brie from season five. She She makes me laugh. And I just, she was so real to me and she owned up when she made mistakes and she just cracked me up even when she was eliminated and she was like, F this and took off her high heels and put her glasses on. She's like, I'm done. You're sending me home. I'm going out as me. Like, she was just someone I feel like I could kick it with any day of the week, whether we were doing something where we had to be super dressed up 
or we were just in sweatpants and t-shirts. Yeah. I just think she seems like a lot of fun. I also thought it was really unfair to Brie during the uh, top my the all-star cycle when they're like oh where's the super vibrant girl that we saw and she you know she was kind of defensively like i was 19 back then like i'm 25 i'm different now but when i looked back at cycle five brie was actually always very calm and chill and i actually really Mm -hmm. liked that about her i think it was just that you know certain like the way people carry themselves changes as they get older but it was weird that they're like oh you used to be so vibrant and crazy i'm like no she wasn't and that's actually what i liked about her was she was she was miss chill Mm -hmm. um I also have Brie as one of them, but for me, I would really love to be friends with Kayla Farrell. And I love calm people, which is funny because I'm not a calm person at all. But like, I just, I find people who can neutralize that energy. That's why I like Brie so much is because she's fun, but calm. And I thought Kayla had such um, this like strength and yet she was able to make situations happy and positive. And just like the way she has like, appeared in interviews and everything after the show she has this really pragmatic approach to everything and I'm like oh you're actually really Mm -hmm. cool and uh for everything that they kind of put her through on the show and how vulnerable she had to get with certain things and I'm just Mm -hmm. like you really handled that incredibly well and I admire your chill Mm -hmm. I wish they would have kept her blonde too and I actually loved her big curly hair I thought it was cute the red yeah but when they had her slick yeah, I did not. And it was that mushroom cut Ugh. again. Why do they keep bringing it like back? Dorothy Hamill. But um, yeah, it was oh, it was just weird. But I lived for her big curly blonde hair, but I get that it's not like necessarily fashion model-esque. But when they had her come back just wetted down, mm-hmm. slicked back in white like that, I was like, that is she had so high face. fashion. Yeah. Oh, gosh. She was, she was fun. Okay, favorite judge. For sure. Um... It's either Nigel, of course, because I just like I feel like it would be wrong to say anyone other than him because he was so funny and he is so handsome and he was so smooth and he had a good time. But then I also really adored Twiggy. Mm -hmm. I don't know what that says about me that they're both English, (laughs) but Twiggy was hilarious. Like when she was like, don't leave me alone in a room with Jane. She scares me. I thought that was so funny. Yeah. And she just, oh, she made me laugh and she was so sweet too though and so passionate and um just very humble Mm -hmm. and here she's like just one of the biggest names throughout model history where whether you liked fashion or not you knew who twiggy was and you could picture that iconic photo of her with the drawn on lashes and but she was so humble it was cool to see her just being like a cool old lady like um yeah so my favorite judge is andre leon talley um, I think um, oh he was fabulous he was fabulous <laughs> weirdly enough I never found his persona to be too much I, I didn't find he got mm-hmm. annoying at any point and I also found he had the most love for the girls that when someone had a really whack picture he was the only one who would say something redeeming and nice about it and I think he actually for as it's like you see this big crazy personality think oh he's the crazy judge but he actually to me Mm -hmm. um had the most valuable stuff to say so i was really happy when they brought him on it Mm -hmm. meant miss j wasn't on the panel anymore but i liked miss j better as a coach than a judge i would agree because then we got a little bit more airtime with miss j and there was something someone that andre loved that made me love her too and i'm trying to remember what her name was but it was the girl who wore 
the was it Alasia jacket back Alasia yes yes she yeah yes and his and him praising that photo as she's and crying and broken like, down no. and he says you yeah. know what this is art and he was like yeah I just and he was so he he wasn't judging other people for their judgments all that mm. he was like no like this it. is yep. art and art is subjective and you're wonderful mm-hmm. and I just that won me over and that was one of his first episodes I it think, was yeah that he did that uh, mm-hmm. all right least favorite judge uh Kelly Catron <laughs> yes I, she's terrible I I I could not stand her I never felt like she gave any actual constructive feedback which again like I thought that's what the show was supposed to be about I think it's in the beginning what it started to be about was how we can help these people become models and give them something to build themselves up she was just so nasty it felt like and just so mean and this is going to be a really kind of mean unpleasant thing for me to say but I would never go get my hair done from someone who has awful hair yep So why would I want someone like her judging how I look, what I wear, and more importantly, my attitude? Because her, the way she judged other girls' attitudes, while she always acted like she had just eaten an entire lemon, Mm -hmm. like what she did to Louise Watts during the British Invasion cycle. Causing a breakdown. Like, yeah. She bullied her into that. She antagonized her. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I could, I... So why would I want to take any criticism from someone like that? Mm-hmm. No difference than wanting to get my hair done from someone with an awful haircut. Yeah. It's because even Janice Dickinson, like when I look back, Janice Dickinson said some awful things, but she also like mm-hmm. in a weird way had this like caring and stuff. And again, I look at Janice Dickinson's life and her childhood and stuff, and I'm just like, clearly Janice Dickinson loves the way she knows how. Um, but um, mm-hmm. I ha- I also had Kelly Catrone. That said... Honorable mention goes to Nole Marin, and he got, I think, more seasons than Kelly Catrone. I thought Nole Marin was very <laughs> bitchy and never said anything constructive, and he just kind of echoed what everyone else said. And I, I mm-hmm. not once did he ever say anything constructive, so I was so happy when they replaced him with Jay. Yeah, he kind of always seemed like a filler to he me, is, personally, yeah. but, yeah. Um, but Kelly just leaves a bad taste in my mouth. <laughs> So I got a couple would-you-rathers. Would you rather walk in the super tall okay. Vivian Westwood shoes that made Danielle sprain her pinky toe or walk the super high <laughs> runway above a crowd from Cycle 15, the one that had the pink lights on it? I would do the super high one because I actually love heights. I think they're really fun. When I was working in – so throughout college and high school, I worked at a summer camp. Mm-hmm. In one of my college years, I was the ropes course director. Oh, cool. So I actually was like up really high on little thin – wires all the time so I think that would be the one that I would pick um mainly because I I'm pretty sure I would have hurt myself in those shoes (laughs) the one that I think I would be most afraid of though is from that same cycle a little bit later on when the mate they made the girls walk on those conveyor belts oh yeah one of them and they were moving they were moving really fast and one of them was moving the opposite direction of the way they had to walk and I looked at that I watched that again today because I was like, I'm pretty sure that's the same cycle as the super high runway. Mm -hmm. And every single one of those girls almost broke her face. And I would have been the girl that would have busted my face. Yeah. So I actually would go with the Vivian Westwood uh, thing. Although I'm, I'm fine with heights because I have been a climber for a very long time. Um, Mm -hmm. It's more that like, 
when you take a lead fall at 30 feet, knowing that like, okay, like the worst that could happen is I fall and my harness catches me. And it, you know, you pull your groin when that happens. That's it. Um, But for me, Mm -hmm. um, and this is a thing that people who know me are always surprised to learn. I am amazing at walking in heels. And I don't know why. Um, I think I've just practiced a lot. But when I look at the Vivian Westwood shoes and I watched that cycle recently and I'm like, okay, what is the closest thing I have to this? Hey, I have my old point shoes. Let me see how I do in those. And if I can still walk down runway style, the length of my hallway in point shoes, I'm like, I could probably do a semi-serviceable job in these Vivian Westwood shoes. I think... Um, when I look at the girls who fell, it's the girls who, this is my dance teacher coming out. They didn't have their ankles engaged and like learning how to engage your ankles. If you're not a dancer, like how do you even, what, what does engaging an ankle mean? Mm. Um, but I've just been through enough, like even physio for my ankles and stuff that I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I know how I would stay. Um, I don't know how good my walk would look, but I feel like I wouldn't fall. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Okay. Would you? Yeah. Does that does that mean you would? I have to ask. Does that mean you think you'd be able to rock walk in those shoes that Ray wore for her oh. baby shoot? Um, the that were point shoes, but had that itty bitty like thin heel that went down. So it. the one thing about those that did concern me a little bit or looked like oh that would hurt to wear is when you have point shoes, what you what you try to do is push above the block and push over the block, and so mm. your your foot is more shaped like a C. And when you have that heel, it does kind of force you to lessen your arch a bit and you can't, you can't flex, you can't lift out of that. So at least with the Vivian Westwoods, at least you're at an angle that you don't feel like you have to lift out of it. Like those shoes that Ray wore looked so restrictive. It's a good thing her picture turned out great, but, Mm. and it's a good thing she had something to lean on (laughs) because you would barely be able to move in those. I actually think those are more restrictive than the Vivian Westwood shoes. Um, oh, wow. Okay. All right. Would you rather be stuck with Molly's twisted sister weave or Jenna's, uh, I call it her Cynthia from Rugrats hair? Uh, you know, neither of those are great case scenarios, but I guess I would probably rather be stuck with the twisted sisters <laughs> because I love big blonde curly hair. Yes. Although I will say I do think both of them had their own struggles where like Jenna's struggle I feel like she had no idea how to take care yeah. of which like her hair the, this um, the show gave out a lot of weaves and I'm like weave care is actually really difficult mm-hmm. that's and also like there's a reason white girls tend to not get weaves which is because a lot of white hair isn't meant to hold weaves that's also why Molly like yeah Molly had literally said like my hair can't handle a weave it's too thin to sew stuff into mm-hmm. but then also if you look at blonde maintenance on the show anyone who went blonde by the end of the show, their blonde was pissy and yellow. And it's like, they mm. should have had someone at least helping maintain the dye. Right. Yeah. And so I feel like part of it is for like Jenna's sake, and, I, and I'm pretty sure part of Jenna's backstory, she grew up very poor too. Mm-hmm. So I highly doubt she had the knowledge of what it takes to maintain hair. Yeah. Um, especially hair that's very expensive that you didn't grow yourself. <laughs> And then, like you said, you know, Molly's hair was just too slippery and silky. Mm-hmm. It, and it kind of makes me think, too, of, like, just some of the weaves were just bad. The hair that I think would be the scariest would be Britney's oh, from Cycle 8. so gross. The red, the red madness, like, that was that was rough she and and she looked so fine before the makeover i feel like it wasn't until heather with cycle eight that they decided like or cycle nine that they decided there are some girls who actually don't need a makeover 
there's some girls who don't need a change mm-hmm. because with both Brittany and Molly, they did end up going back to what they came into the competition with and it looked fine. Like, yep. um, I will say yeah. I would also rather take Molly's only because when they took Molly's weave out, her hair looked fine and didn't look that damaged from it. Jenna's hair hurt me to look at because it looked like it was just yeah. the hair, the fake hair on her head looked fried. And because her own hair had been dyed as well, and then, you know, the roots started to come in and that looked really bad. Um, I just feel like she probably needed to do a lot of repair to her hair afterward. And it's like, I hope the show mm-hmm. comps you for that. I know they didn't, but it would have been <laughs> justice if the show comped you for that. Right. And finally, would you rather do the Cycle 1 snake shoot or the Cycle 3 tarantula shoot? I do them both. I do them at the same time. I think Ah! stuff like that's cool. (laughs) I think they're so cool. We actually had, so in Minnesota, um, which I'm not sure how familiar you are with with American culture in this sense of, um, well, the state fair in Minnesota is a huge deal. It's the great American get together and it's the biggest state fair in the country. And then where I live, we have the biggest county fair and it's free. So people go all the time and it's awesome. And brand new this year, we had a guy bring snakes and tarantulas. And I just, (laughs) I just thought they were so fun and I wanted the pictures with all of them. So I would do either. I think stuff like that I'm kind of one of those people, and I don't know what this says about me, that I will do things like that just to say I did. Like, yeah, I held a tarantula and I had a snake wrapped around my head like a scarf, and it was it was great. Well, I'm Especially if you're going to cover me in diamonds. Yes. Like... Well, so I'll say I'm very impressed, and uh, you're officially on my terrorist watch list for snake sympathy. Um, <laughs> no, so, okay, here's the thing, and I think everyone who knows me well knows this. I have an insane intense phobia of snakes i can't even watch videos of snakes pictures of snakes bother me um if i like the one time my we used to occasionally very occasionally get snakes in my backyard because my backyard where i went to high school was full of rocks and so they'd sunbathe and these are garter snakes and the first time i came across one i got so scared i threw up and my i was walking my little terrier and she had to growl at the snake for me um and the snake did not care. Oh, well, it's a good um, thing she was there to protect yes. you. That's my test. Why we have uh, guard dogs. <laughs> but um, but as much as I hate snakes, like just thinking about them makes me want to cry. I love spiders. I think spiders are awesome and fascinating <laughs> and cute and funny and also useful. And I've um so the mm-hmm. one like traumatic experience I've had with a snake was, and I don't know, I think this is just a small town thing. Maybe you had this, but there's always like every small town I've lived in, there's always one family that inexplicably has like three dozen pets and all sorts of weird pets. And in my, you know, school district where we didn't have cool field trips to go on, it's like, oh, the such and such family has brought in their animals and every class is going to come into the gym Mm -hmm. and see their animals. And I was excited. I'd never seen an iguana before. I'd never played with a parrot before. But then there was a snake and it was like a 12 foot boa or whatever, python. I don't know. And Mm -hmm. um they were trying to push uh, to get all the kids in groups of, say, four or five to take a picture holding the snake. And I didn't want to. Like, I've been afraid of snakes my entire life. My dad was afraid of snakes and I just picked it up from him, I guess. And um, <laughs> my teacher, like, I, I just said, like, I don't want to do that. My teacher was actually physically pushing me toward the snake. And I I wasn't a Aww. kid who misbehaved, but I immediately I was 
in grade two or grade three, because I remember this teacher, she was so mean to me. I actually dropped onto the ground into an egg and just like was yelling, you can't make me do it. And I oh, like for you. just scurried out of there. It was the only, it was the first and like only ever time I was sent to the office. And I'm just like, she tried to make me touch a snake. Like looking back, I'm like, how could they make a child <laughs> do that? Even like looking at oh, who that's... I think was one of the worst contestants of like the first bit of Top Model Brooke Miller from Cycle 7. She should not have been in that house. She did not. She was cute as hell. She yeah. did not look like a model. The fact that they not yeah. only had her posing with a snake as Brittany, but posing with the snake. That was the same snake Brittany performed with, uh, Banana, mm -hmm. um, who now apparently he has a connection to Tiger King because um, it was what's his oh, face yeah. was his handler. Yeah. Um, she's very mm -hmm. brave for doing that. Um I, I will say, actually, the girls who got the bigger, fatter snakes, those don't scare me as much as the as the little ones. The little ones scare me more. Yeah. Uh, don't can't explain why. Wow. But it's it sucks because their pictures were so good. Like every single person I'd say, except Kizzy, Nicole, and Robin, turned out really good pictures there. Like Shannon's mm -hmm. amazing. Adrian's amazing, especially when she said she looked like the Hamburglar. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, but <laughs> she was. So I, funny. I think. And and similarly, I think everyone took really amazing pictures with the tarantula. I've never gotten to hold or pet a tarantula, but I feel like I would like to. Like, I feel like that would be a really fun mm -hmm. experience. Um, they look just like they do their own thing and don't give a shit. And um, yeah, yeah I, I think it was the coolest accessory. Um, when they, when tarantula, so when I was in third grade, we had a pet tarantula in our class. Oh. Like that was our classroom pet. I think it was third grade. Mm -hmm. um, and when they um, molt or shed their skin, it's like one chunk. I didn't know they did that. And cool. it's even like, yeah, and it's even their fangs, <gasps> like a layer of their fangs will come off too. Wow. So we would come back and it was every couple months that they would do this and we would come back and it literally looked like there was two tarantulas mm -hmm. in the container mm -hmm. so it, they are kind of cool cool so now we have reached the peak and you know I, peaks mean different things to different people it could be solely like what was the best mm -hmm. cycle or where would where would you say people could stop watching what was the last good cycle to you so i want to know from you annie my dear guest what is the peak of top model so like you said, it means multiple things. I personally strongly believe and will die on the hill that the peak of ANTM was cycles six through eight. Okay. I think they had the reality down. I think they had the contestants down. I think they had the fun makeup. I think they had the fun fashion. Of course, there was a couple dead shoots. Like we talked about that weird personality <laughs> shoot was very strange. But you also can't deny that like in that same cycle when they did the high school stereotypes, oh, yeah. like that was just a really fun one to watch that produced some great photos. And mm -hmm. I think those winners, Danny, Carity, Jasmine, all of them have stood the test of time. They've they all continued to do great things. They're happy. They're killing it. They do what they want, when they want. They stuck in the fashion game. They went out. They went back in. Yeah. You know, they, they just all really dominated. And they weren't necessarily the obvious clear winner either because there was a lot of good contestants mm -hmm. in those. Jade was a good model. Yeah. Joni, Joni was, was a fantastic model. And I think, 
I think that was one of the seasons that no matter who won between Danny and Joni, people largely would have been happy because they were both so talented. Melrose did turn out some really great photos and um, the twins turned out amazing photos. They were so fun to look at. Um, and then in cycle eight two, Natasha just kept getting better and better. Okay, can we talk about and the she, fact she, though, she that some... Natasha now kind <laughs> of looks like if someone made a Barbie doll version of Kendall from Dance Moms? Like, what is Natasha now? <laughs> it's so surreal to oh witness. My gosh. Like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, some of them maybe didn't stand the test of time the way the winners did. Yes. But in their original seasons, they really pumped out some amazing talent. Mm -hmm. But then I also feel like the only other peak I feel that's worth mentioning because it's just you can't ignore the fact that when Vogue Italia became one of the sponsors and became Mm -hmm. one of the prizes, that was a huge deal. I mean, that that was a huge Mm -hmm. magazine it was a really big deal. And during that season, that first one sp- in particular with Anne and Chelsea and, and Molly mm. and Brittany too, but they, the, the high fashionness of the competition really started to shine through again Every to a point that it reminded me a little bit. Oh yeah. And fun to look at. And yeah. like the girl and the, the photos themselves didn't look all the same, even though like there was something as simple as like the chest up a mermaid. It's not like there was more props, but the girls all made it their own. And it reminded me a lot of the cycle two, because I think that was the only other cycle I felt was really high fashion. Yeah, I agree. And so I personally would say six through eight was like the prime, the peak. And I think from the beginning, it was on that uphill climb. Mm-hmm. It it took off pretty quickly, but but including that uh the vogue italia and cycle 15 i mean that that did change the game unfortunately it just didn't change it enough to bring a full-on second peak it was like one of those weird stock market like spikes (laughs) yeah i i'm a little bit more specific i feel like cycle six is the absolute peak in quality the reason i don't consider seven and eight quite as strong is because i i hate to say it because i was such a 17 reader but I do feel looking back that the 17 involvement maybe made it a little bit more about the personality and made it a little bit more more commercial maybe than I would have liked. And even the way they chose to pick on certain things like um, say Eugenia, who Eugenia wasn't a great model, but like the way like she didn't respond the way like she didn't smile en- enough in judging. And I'm just like, this feels so like you got to be mm-hmm. the relatable girl, um, which um, right. But um, and also I thought the 17 challenges and at least it gave people like a cool photo shoot and stuff to get. But um, the way it just felt like it became a 17 spinoff show at some points. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I could see For me, I think cycle six is just such a great attaining of perfection of the formula because, again, you got a great winner, a fantastic top three in general. Um, Your bitch that cycle, your villain wasn't even that mean she was just a deluded weirdo and i think that's a good thing where like (laughs) nothing jay did except maybe a little bit of the way she was with gina nothing she did makes me uncomfortable to watch nothing she did makes me feel bad watching i don't feel like i'm watching a bully train wreck um whereas you know with say melrose even sometimes the way she was with anchel made me feel really bad to watch or renee makes me feel terrible to watch um i think all the girls mm-hmm. were really good i think honestly i would have loved to see nena make it further i understand why she didn't because a lot of her pictures weren't 
great, but I love Nana. And like, I was looking Nana up. I don't think she stayed with that loser guy on the show. Thank God, because he was a real weirdo. <laughs> um, but she's got like two really gorgeous kids and just posts really amazing stuff on Instagram all the time. I'm like, oh, you go, Nana. You're just, mm -hmm. you're living your life. Um, I think the challenges were great. I think it was a really like positive cycle. Everyone seemed to be friends a lot. Um, and also it was Tyra acting crazy without acting too crazy. Like the, probably mm -hmm. the peak was Tyra pretending to faint and making Feronda cry. Yeah. That was a little too much, but um, I just think we, we had Tyra the way I like her, which is a little bit hammy and a little bit extra mm -hmm. without necessarily feeling like she's taking focus away from anyone. Um, but I think mm -hmm. up to, I would say for anyone, and like, I, I agree with you on a chronological watch. I would say watch up to cycle eight and then throw in 15 and 16, you know? <laughs> Just skip the ones in between. <laughs> Absolutely. I think like, yeah, they're I, not good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I'd say watch it chronologically because I do think it's really fun to watch how it evolved mm -hmm. because I mean, that first it's just like again RuPaul's Drag Race that first season it's a struggle bus the lighting's bad yeah. things are out of focus they like really struggle with how exactly they want to do everything it's just haphazard but fun haphazard it's that that fun chaos and then you get to like watch it develop and become more and more and more powerful my suggestion for people would be to um yeah to just keep watching and then um and then just decide kind of around cycle 10 is usually when i'm like by that time you're just gonna have to decide how much you want to invest into watching the downfall of it yeah. um i definitely would recommend everybody skipping the college cycle though because i just really did not like that cycle yeah just that yeah just don't watch 19. a super <laughs> underrated thing about 15 and i think no about 16 but not 15 a super underrated about thing about 16 is that they don't have a casting episode and it's crazy because like where we were with reality shows in the early 2000s and mid-aughts we loved a good casting episode we loved hot messes we loved people who you know were not as good as they thought they were and like as many of us learn more about the entertainment industry we learn that if you make it onto a casting episode, like you have been through several rounds of producers and tryouts already. And so they are casting you because they know you mm -hmm. look insane. And so I I really like that Cycle 16. They decide we're not going to do that. Uh, we're not going to, you know, we're just going to yep. get straight to the competition because I, and also starting in Cycle 10, and maybe this is the reason I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell anyone to watch it that's when they started doing really gimmicky casting because they did the private school one oh. and then they did the tire of banks mm -hmm. pretending to be a robot <laughs> uh, and all yeah, sorts of that weird was, shit i forgot about that they called her tyrobot mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I yeah i forgot i apparently ptsd that one yeah. out of my brain but i would tell anyone too that it is I'm just a victim of the way society has made me watch every makeover episode. Yes. It's worth it. I know that we make fun of them crying and we're like, get it together. Come on. But I would recommend everyone watch those ones because they do crack me up. And some are really fun to watch. Like the Shandy makeover. It's so oh. iconic. And she felt was just feeling her oats with just like, I feel so pretty. Oh. But like, come on, I'm going to watch Jada cry every time. And every <laughs> time I'm going to be like, get it together. Yeah. Which is so funny because I am the epitome of 
I tie my femininity to my hair so much. And very interesting talking about this now as I'm making fun of people crying for years, for almost two full years, I had pink hair, Mm -hmm. like pink, pink hair. And I finally realized that I had damaged my hair so much and I needed to get away from the pink. So I had dyed it with a, with like the friendliest box dye I could find brown. And then I could see the full damage. And I was like the poster child for why no one should ever get a mullet. Yeah. (laughs) Because it was growing out in a way that was painful for me to look at. And even with all that said, I would still be like, come on, Jada get it together it's just hair you can grow yeah. it out <laughs> I um I have had short hair most of my adult life like right now it's about like mid neck and this is the longest it's been in 10 years because uh, I had an undercut for a long time I had a pixie for a long time so I am I will say I never I never say like why would you cry I totally get why girls cry because we've been taught to tie our femininity to hair length i will say though that for that reason i think almost every girl should try to have short hair at least once so that they can understand that it's Mm -hmm. not tied to it because i'm not gonna lie nothing pisses me off more than a girl that cuts her hair like shoulder length and saying oh it's so short now and i'm like oh fuck off fuck (laughs) off like ear length is long for me but um that said (laughs) if you are going to get a makeover for uh, cut your hair short for cathartic reasons maybe don't do it on national tv like that's the other thing is the added trauma of knowing so many people are watching this like that sucks um but yeah watch the makeover and i would have been one of those girls I would have been a crier because I had my first haircut ever when I was 10 years old. So I had long hair for most of my life. But yeah, the makeovers, they're just so good. They're great. They're just so good. Yeah. And I will say cycle six, which we've agreed is like one of the best cycles. Watch the cycle six makeovers because you get, again, Jade's hilarious reaction. You get Feronda acting nuts because of her weave. Sarah trying really hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love Sarah's like my boyfriend oh, works yeah. for a conservative senator. I guess I'm not going to the Christmas party this year. Like, why? Because you have short hair. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. funny. Oh, so uh, funny. Yeah, it's a great uh, one. All right, Annie. So where can we find you, follow you and support you? Well, you can find me on Twitter where I'm sometimes mildly entertaining. Um, and that's just at Annie Granlin. So not very entertaining name, but sometimes I post some fun stuff, especially about the trials and tribulations of being a journalist in the age of social media. Um, and then I also have a bookstagram, which is the super nerdy corner of Instagram and I post pictures of my cats and I talk about books and that's coffee underscore wait what is it it's coffee underscore cats underscore books coffee cats books yes so um and that and some days I'm really good about posting like every day and sometimes it goes a couple weeks but I have a lot of fun with that one also just support your local journalists and subscribe to your local newspapers I would be remiss without saying that because we do not want to live in the world where the, we only get information from our Facebook feeds or even Twitter. No, we're so getting a. That is how you can support me. We're getting a good preview of how that is now. Um, so as for me, I've been your host, Bree. You can find me on Twitter at Breganism, which is like veganism with a B-R-E-E. New episodes of Peak Show are due out every two weeks, and you do not want to miss them. We have episodes uh, coming up. Not too many left this season, actually, but we got some coming up on Arrested Development, Seinfeld, and a special end-of-season 
episode on the peak of peak show if you go back through our back catalog we've got tons of timeless episodes on the office featuring noted cousin of the show maggie olson we've got so you think you can dance we've got a whole month on the simpsons king of the hills scream saw anything you uh anything you want we got a lot of white guys talking about indie rock uh probably too many uh show art is by none other than my husband jared daly he does the logo and the art for every single episode and uh the theme music is by jack dump uh you can find them on bandcamp.com slash jack dump it is an original composition made just for the show so thank you so much I, uh, I have once again been your host, Bree Rohde, and I am here to say that never dull your shine to be liked by anyone else. Thank you. Thank you.